does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You ever watch Full House as a kid, Kevin? Sure. We got a full house in here today. We do. It is crowded on a Friday. I swear it's the longest work week of the year. <laughs> well, you're, Literally. You're going on vacation again, aren't you? I know. I know. I cannot wait Boy. to be out. Next week as we are, what, nine, ten days away from the start of training camp, so I've got to uh, get these comp days in. And you're north of the border in, what, ten hours? That's right, like Ed. That? Uh, Canada, Toronto. I leave at 4 o'clock. Direct flight, which surprised me. You've got the passport? You've got your credential? I, I do have my passport. Like those are questions you know, we have to ask on Fridays. Here is the total bummer, which I did not realize. But now that in Europe, all the countries, not all, England doesn't count, but all the countries are part of the European Union. So when you go to Europe and they stamp your passport when you enter Europe, you then go from country to country. They don't stamp your passport. Because it's considered, it's like going from Indiana to Kentucky in their eyes, right? Just give you a lower back stamp instead. So yeah, so I'm totally bummed because, like, when to me, like my passport when I go to Toronto, I'll go through customs and I say to them, "Can you stamp my passport, please?" And one year the guy said, "Sure, here's a lollipop too for the 50 year old." (laughs) Guy said. Well, you know, I stamped your passport last year. I said, how do you know? And he goes, because you're the only person over like 40 that's ever asked, or over like 15 that's ever actually asked me that. Yeah, the full house today includes obviously ourselves. That would be Jake Query's voice you just heard, myself, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton. Hello. Uh, back in the corner today, we've got Graham on the ones and twos. Graham, this is not your first time on the ones and twos, correct? Nope. But I'm running the show Monday, so I'm getting a little uh, refresher, as Todd likes to call it. I love it. Well, thank you for that. And then Ryan Canfield, a student of mine, Jake, from this past year, to say Ryan is eager and excited about being in studio today, I think would be... He's about as excited as Tom Crean was at that opening press conference back in the day. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, We got Graham. When I think of Graham, I think of Golden Grahams. I've said that before. Then we got Ryan, who's from Michigan, and his dad works for Kellogg's. But Golden Grahams are General Mills, by the way. So there could be some turf wars in here. Well, I could see Mark Dykton cornering him and wanting a whole lot of cereal (laughs) at some point here. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't... um, Go ahead. Ryan said he's, he's... here staying for the during his time here with his girlfriend from college correct uh-huh and i and uh, ryan you just finished your freshman year right Correct. and i said oh you guys getting married and he goes i hope so i thought man this guy's on the fast track man well you know key word there going to be a sophomore i think he's going to see a lot of talent here over the next couple of years <laughs> so we'll have to see how that progresses but nonetheless happy to have a full house here on this friday you know i don't i don't consider myself a pessimistic sports fan I, I know your fandom, Jake, maybe has kind of waned a little bit over the years, like team fandom, just in general with probably how... Probably because most of the teams have waned over the years. <laughs> I was going to say more from a professional sense for you. But like when you were a diehard fan, would you consider yourself a pessimistic fan? Or a doom and gloom? Yeah, you know what? Always like, expect the worst. People will tell you when it comes to Clemson football, which is probably the last team left that I have like a true fandom for. Yeah, I'm always like, I don't think they can win this game. So, yes. Yeah, to be fair, you were like, oh, they got no chance against Notre Dame. And I was like, wait, what? Is this reverse psychology that you're trying to do here? And then, sure enough, they had no chance against Notre Dame. Uh, The whole car ride in this morning to work 
all I could think about with the Reds starting the second half of the season tonight was Rick Carlisle saying it was fun while it lasted. Think so, huh? I mean, that's spoken like a true Reds fan, there's no doubt. Yeah, it, yes, it is. Um, they've got the Brewers tonight. Of course, they just faced the Brewers, the team they're currently one game up on in the NL Central. They lost two of three to them before the break. Now they've got three with them out of the break, and that is a three-game stretch that includes 16 straight games here out of the break where they are going to play teams either in the playoffs or a half game back. So that trade deadline coming up at the end of the month, boy, you're going to get quite the test for the Red Legs here coming out of the break. Now here's the bigger problem for the Reds. I I grew up really enjoying the Cincinnati Reds. There is a level of nostalgia to that. As I'd mentioned, there was a fabulous Reds gift shop kiosk next to the log flume or whatever it was called at Kings Island when I was a kid. I always wanted a Joe Morgan jersey. Finally ended up getting one as an adult. They won the World Series when I was a senior in high school. I vaguely recall like the 76 World Series, but I saw the big red machine in their twilight. And you're always chasing that high, as I say. I went to Rusty Bucket the night that they were in the playoffs against the Phillies. I wore my Reds jacket and hat, and they got no hit by Roy Halladay. And I thought, okay. But I like the Reds like you, Kevin. This is, unfortunately, the reality of baseball when a Cincinnati Reds fan, you have a player that you enjoy, and then you get this kind of devastating news. Are you ready? This from Swing Graphs on Twitter. Ellie De La Cruz is an exciting player, but he has a very big problem. His attack angle is second lowest in MLB. Only E. Hosmer is lower. This is costing him a whopping 81 points of XWOB Acon. So unfortunate B slash CW slash his above average VBA, he could easily have top quartile contact quality. I trade the guy. Is that Jim Mercer's burner there at the end? What, what was the quartile part of it? I don't know what any of that means. That is some sabermetric dork that is sitting behind some computer looking at a guy that is arguably the most exciting breakthrough talent of the last 30 years in Major League Baseball and is trying to tell me that his big problem is the fact that the baseball's got a launch angle that is 0.8 angle percentages below where it's supposed to be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know much about baseball, but I know this. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz hits the ball about as hard as anyone in Major League Baseball. He stole he three runs bases on two pitches. As anyone in Major League Baseball, and he throws the ball about as hard as anyone in Major League Baseball. And the Reds are 22-8 and eight since he got called up. I, I saw someone actually who's – and I there's a lot of hyperbole in this and a lot of sarcasm, but one of the replies to that tweet actually said, this is the kind of stuff that has caused people to quit watching baseball. And there is an element of truth to that. The over-analysis of like computer sabermetric stuff has turned off some people, I think. Uh, pretty easy numbers to follow. Right now, you look at the six divisions in baseball as the second half again gets underway today. Five of those six right now have a lead that is two games or less. And we mentioned this earlier in the week. That's unlike anything we've seen in Major League Baseball returning from the All-Star break. So... Outside of the Braves in the NL East, you are getting some super competitive divisions throughout both leagues here. And again, the Reds and the Brewers underway later tonight. I mean, that is jumping right back into it, into the deep end, right? 
A little nervous. Little little pessimism from Kevin Bowen, which I usually don't. Uh, at least I think I don't I, always have. I think today's going to be my 20th stamp on my passport. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? Did you see any of Trace Jackson Davis last night? Am I the only that's excited by this? No, I was counting the stamps on my passport. Yeah. No shock there. <laughs> uh, 14 and 7 for Trace Jackson in his summer league debut. 20 minutes for the Warriors. Basically, you watch Trace Jackson Davis scored Indiana. Very, very similar in terms of how he went about scoring those 14 points in 20 minutes. Uh, for what it's worth, he did not attempt a three-pointer for the Warriors. And Jake, I know we certainly talked about it, whatever it was, three Fridays ago, four Fridays ago, whenever it was the morning after the draft. I cannot reiterate enough just how great of a fit and great of a situation he has fallen into in terms of their I roster, think so much, Kevin. the age, the Dunleavy yeah, connection, I, the contract. Again, it's a two-year guaranteed contract. Just the style of play, right? Over four years, and they have to. They almost have to play him because contractually they're so front-loaded with you know how much money they're paying, the likes of Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and Chris Paul. I mean. If you look at a Draymond Green, and Trace Jackson Davis is not Draymond Green, I get that. I mean, they are different players, but Draymond Green is a guy that his passing ability, just kind of where he positions himself offensively, it is the perfect fit for Trace Jackson Davis to just basically be the understudy to that, right? In other words, Golden State has shown a history of being able to utilize a player with a similar operating area on the floor as Trace Jackson, as Draymond Green now with Trace Jackson Davis. I know there's still some drama to play out with Chris Paul and exactly what his role is going to be, but I would think that if Chris Paul is indeed going to be their second unit point guard, I would think that would be even more advantageous for a guy like Trace Jackson Davis and benefiting from certainly one of the best point guards this league has seen and best pure point guards this league has seen in quite some time. You know, I know Chris Paul's a great player and I know he's had a great career. But if Chris Paul is going to be the final piece for a championship, wouldn't it have happened by now? I mean, literally every year, it's like death taxes and Chris Paul's now with a team that's gonna he's going to put over the top. Every year. He's a great player. And Golden State probably gives him a great opportunity just because of the, you know, I mean, you've got Steph Curry on your roster and Clay Thompson's a, and Draymond Green. But, like, if it wasn't going to happen for him in Phoenix in terms of Chris Paul being the centerpiece or, or the, the final push, it's over, right? Like, yeah, he's going to be – at this point, he's a he's a passenger, yeah, I don't. I would like to think that Golden State doesn't view him in that light as I, like this is the guy we right. need to put right. us over the top. Like I, I tend to think more of like the Andrew Wiggins type, or again, what is their kind of big situation there? Not some. I mean, how old is he? He's got to be close to. Hell, he's, he's like forty six. Uh, he's got to be close to forty. Is LeBron forty yet? LeBron is thirty eight. No, thirty eight. He'll be thirty nine in December. Yeah. So Chris Paul's the same draft class and went to Wake for. What, a year? Two years, years? right? So he's, yeah, I mean, he's got to be close to that. Yeah, he's 38. Chris Paul is? Yeah, born on May 6th, so he'll be 39 next May. God, you want to talk about a loaded, unbelievable, well, I guess, no, I I, I stand corrected, they were were not the same draft. 
uh, fourth pick in 2005 for Chris Paul. Who were the first, who were the three in front of him? Uh, I would have to look that up. I'll look it up right here. I always get a kick out of this. There's always one that you're like, really? Andrew Bogut, Marvin Williams, Darren Williams. Yeah, boy. Darren Williams had a nice career, right? Andrew Bogut. Okay, Andrew Bogut. Andrew Bogut. That's right. Great trivia question. Andrew Bogut, one of the two players as a pair that the only time that the number one overall pick in the NBA and NFL draft came out of the same school in the same year. Huh. It was Utah with Andrew Bogut and Alex Smith. And interestingly enough, in my opinion, similar players in the fact that neither one of them had a career befitting the number one overall pick, but in their second stop, they were really good, solid players that had you drafted them 17th overall, you'd go, yeah, good career. Alex Smith was a fine quarterback. He was a good quarterback. He wasn't, but people expect as a number one overall pick you are a franchise changing quarterback same with the center position Bogut by the time you know later in his career was a good player solid player um Marvin Williams I good lord that was he was out of North Carolina right he really lingered around for a while yeah he was kind of the correct me if I'm wrong but wasn't he like the freshman on the Sean May Raymond Felton I, type I believe teams? that's correct and he was wonderfully gifted there's no doubt I remember that thinking like this guy's going to be really he was good. one of those wing you know those 3 and D wings that you thought would you know I, honestly a little bit of an Andrew Wiggins I, I mean you're right he, he played through 2020 so that's a that's a that's a lengthy I was thinking I think of it was it Sheldon Williams out of Duke yeah mm-hmm. that guy was the one that didn't he marry a WNBA player Correct. or somebody famous? Was it Candace uh, Parker? He had a child with. Uh, did it, did they marry? Was it Candace Parker? I mean, he was I... involved with for sure. Um, Graham, are you up to date on your NBA WNBA relationships? <laughs> yeah, listen, not not that one. Listen to his career. So no, Sheldon Williams. This this okay. Maybe Sheldon it was Williams Rebecca played Lobo. What's that? Maybe it was Rebecca Lobo. I'm looking here to see. But, but first off, was Candace Parker. Never even heard he, that he's drafted before. by the Atlanta Hawks. Then he plays for he plays for them for three years. Then Sacramento for two years. Then Minnesota for a year. Then Boston for a half a season. Then Denver for a half a season. Then the Knicks for a year. Then the Nets for a year. Then uh, China for two years. And then like Taiwan for two years. And then the Erie Bayhawks. Now you're going to be in the airport here in a little bit. Do you recall back? I think this was over. Yeah, it was over the winter. When I shared with you my... Candace Parker is correct, by the way. They were married. Boy, you talk about major breeding potential there. Um, shout out to Philip Rivers, by the way. Tenth child. Did you see that? The wife really? is pregnant with her tenth. Okay. I guess he's not listening to our ads One during more, March he's Madness. he's got an entire side of the line of scrimmage. I could see Philip enjoying being all-time quarterback in the backyard with that crew. <laughs> that is true. Um, do you recall back in the winter, Jake, I was traveling and I shared a conversation in the line of TSA that I was creeping on. Do you remember this at all? I, I, remi- refresh me. Is that a cookie you're eating, by the way? That, that is a protein cookie, yeah. God, it's a good start. Very deceiving. It looks like a legit cookie. Um, okay, so I'm sitting there, or I'm standing there in the TSA line. This dude is decked out in overtime elite gear. Oh, I do recall this. I do recall this. And he's on the phone with a guy that I did a little Google research on during the phone call because this dude is not being quiet, and he ended up being the head of recruiting at Overtime Elite. And this fella had just watched a five-star prospect from Fishers 
in Jalen Harrelson the night prior. He's like, yeah, they played this team from Zionsville. They weren't great, but they weren't awful. And he's like describing the opponent. And at some point in the phone call, he's like, yeah, I've heard his family's great. I don't think they'd want a lot of money from us. I'm like, dear Lord. I mean, this just sounds shady as hell. Finally, he hangs up. We get through security. And I'm like, you know what? If this dude wanted to be discreet, he first off would not be decked out in overtime elite gear. Correct. Secondly, he'd be talking a little quieter than he was. He wanted you to hear him, yes. It almost felt like that. Yep. So I asked him afterwards. I was like, what do you, what'd you think of Harrelson? I hear, I hear he's a pretty good player. And initially, he's a little caught off guard by it. But then he kind of opened up and he, and he talked about you know, what he thinks of him, thinks he's a great player, this and that. And he ends the conversation with, this state is too rich with basketball talent. We need to get someone from Indiana on one of our teams. Well, guess what? Seven months later, he has gotten a player from the state of Indiana on one of his teams. It is not Jalen Harrelson, I almost feel like, and this is nothing against Harrelson. I think it's more of the state of basketball recruiting at the age of 16 and 17 and 18 years old. I'll say that Harrelson's at Fishers High School for now. But yesterday it was announced, and as always, Kyle Denrip was all over the story for the star, that Kanan Catchings, that would be the nephew of Tamika Catchings, is off to Overtime Elite, therefore leaving Brownsburg, where he is, I believe, been since like third or fourth grade. You know, grew up in Brownsburg schools, obviously played for the high school for each of the last three years, and now he will take his talents, if you will, to Overtime Elite for his final year of high school. Again, as of now, he remains committed to Purdue. He is a five-star recruit, and I think there's a lot of context to this story, Jake, that we should probably get into, and we'll talk with Greg Gregshaw about it at 8 o'clock. But it has this feeling for me. Let's say the state of Indiana produces... Let's just throw out a number. Let's say the state of Indiana produces four top 100 kids in every class. Okay. I'm willing to bet moving forward that 50 to 75% of those four will not finish their four years of high school in the state of Indiana. Yeah. Like It's a miracle Flory Badunga is still at Kokomo. I remember, Kevin, when Robert Vaden left Pike to go to prep school. And that was lo- at the now, time. Now, did he play all four years and then go to prep school? Or was that no, his last year? He played his three last years year. and was the front runner for Mr. Basketball and left to go to prep school. And at that time, I'm going mostly on perception here, so I don't want to say this as factual, but I think it's pretty accurate if you would have gotten the temperate of high school coaches I think that really I think Mike Davis aired because it was the perception was that that Vaden left Pike to go to prep school at the urging of Mike Davis and I think that created a pause amongst high school coaches of having Mike Davis around because you know it fractured the relationship between Mike Davis and the high school coaches of Indiana because they thought, well, he's he's going to farm kids out and take them away from my program. And that really hurt him in terms of his recruiting in the state of Indiana. That's an interesting thought, because I tend to think when the kids go to prep school, that's where the in-state schools start to sweat more. Like, I would think Purdue is going to sweat more now that Kanan Catchings is at overtime elite than if he were at Brownsburg. Like, yeah, if you're I, Mike Davis, wouldn't you want to keep him at Pike? Because I, if he goes to prep school, then it's more of a national yeah, I, I view. I can't remember it. the reasoning that he went to prep school. I mean, it, it might have been an academic thing. I, I, I can't remember. Fair point by you, for sure. Um, and definitely, it, it, different era, though, is what I'm getting at. Different yeah. era, right? Mm-hmm. 
But but the one thing about these, so like Vaden went to a, a prep school at that time, you know, Brighton Academy or one of those. I can't remember which one. Brewster. It was. Yeah, but the um, but these overtime elite and the G League shock or whatever it is, and these different things. Remember uh, Paul Scruggs when he left Southport to go to some basketball academy that was like at a strip mall of a of a closed all-american burger in fresno or something like that yeah, miles colvin was someone that thought to be going to overtime elite at one point he ended up saying a heritage christian but yeah when this is the danger to me and this is just my opinion overtime elite i i'm sure is you know it, it was founded in 2021 Damian Wilkins, uh, who I think was a pacer at one point, is is like the head of it or very high up in it. Yeah, the Thompson brothers that just got drafted. It, it appears as though, you know, Kevin Ollie's involved. I mean, I do think that there are some people there that are that know what they're doing. But the problem with like an overtime elite and then the the auxiliaries below it. When I was in high school, Kevin, I had a, a really good friend of mine was probably my best friend in high school was a division one basketball recruit different era it wasn't like today when you have the rivals and all that right but he went to five-star basketball camp that was the camp of the time later supplanted by the nike all-american camp but five-star basketball camp was the camp that you by invite back in the day and he would come back and give me like a five and i played basketball at north central in my early years and i was an okay player i wasn't a great i was an okay player was not great but I would wear like the five-star t-shirt or the five-star hat. And I acted like, I mean, I really, it was so important for me, like at 15 years old to be somebody, right? Like it is for anybody at 15. So I played the part like I was a big recruit. And he would even give me letters. You know, he would get, back then you would get formed letters in the mail from college basketball programs. And if you were interested in the school, you filled it out and sent it back. The ones he had no interest in, he would give to me and I would fill them out as me and send them back. I kid you not. Bobby Wilkerson was an assistant coach at the University of Colorado, called me at home to ask me if I wanted to come take a visit to Colorado (laughs) because of a sheet of paper that I filled out almost entirely. I I didn't lie about anything on it, but I was a terror. I mean, I was not a I was a fringe high school player, let alone college player, but I wanted to be basketball was so important to me and it, I was I a poser hell yeah I admit it right I wanted so badly to just be like in that arena and I was fascinated by it and all my friends were in it whatever I think that you have guys now like coaches now that that they are the adult version of that I'm not saying overtime elite but I think that parents need to be cautious that there are umpteen number of AAU coaches or summer program coaches or institutions or whatever else that are there because they want to be a part of like the five-star thing whatever I don't think overtime elites one of them but there are a ton of them out there and Paul Scruggs I think is one of them that fell victim to it yeah you know I I said a a few minutes ago that I think there is some context around the caning catching situation that needs to be pointed out and again I thought Kyle Nenrip outstanding job yesterday in reporting on this spoke with Kanan's mom so Tamika Ketching's sister and you know she had mentioned that traditional school has been difficult for Kanan and you know in talking to some people on that Brownsburg staff you know they speak super highly of the family and 
it does sound like his situation, though, you know, a little bit on the floor, a little bit off the floor, is pretty complicated in that he is a great, great talent, but there's a ton of volatility with his game, and there was a ton of technical fouls with his game, and so, you know, do, do they feel like, hey, to reach your potential, not only, obviously, as a basketball player, that's certainly first and foremost, I don't think we need to be naive here, but even a little bit more structure could be beneficial to him. What also uh, Kanan's mom pointed out, and I, I kind of forgot this, and you know, I, I think we know Tamika Ketching's career, but maybe we don't know it dating back to high school. Um, Tamika's parents divorced when they were in high school, the mom was pointing out. And so Tamika, I think, was the Miss Basketball in Illinois as a sophomore. Parents divorced, and then she moved to Texas for her final two years of high school and the mom pointed out there was an element of like hey you know you've got to grow up a little bit and and those sorts of things and nothing against Tamika personally but it it just kind of forced her into a little bit more of that obviously she had a wonderful career also in Texas became the Miss Basketball there and then the rest is history with her career at Tennessee and beyond Um, so I understand there is some context around this but I just it's just such a bummer that you know, from a local standpoint, this stuff is happening. And again, I think it's a lot shadier than maybe this story sounds like. Well, I, it, it, when I heard that phone call in TSA and heard how they talked about Jalen Harrelson, how they talked about Jalen Harrelson's family, the pursuit of him, whether his parents would want money or not, I'm thinking this sounds totally, just I, shady as bleep in hell. And I hated it. I hate it. I, I, I know some people on the Fisher staff. I was like, do you guys know this is happening? And they're like, yeah, sadly. We do, you know. Yeah, part of the five dollar fans that show up to Zionsville High School to watch Fishers play Zionsville. Yeah, here's my popcorn and hot dog, and here's a dude that all he's thinking about is how do I get that guy to come play for overtime? The, the other thing too, Kevin, that that to me, again, I'm not trying to make a generalization here. There, this is not. I'm saying the rule, but I think that it's becoming increasing. So, you know, when you watch Monday Night Football and they have the guys that. You know, they, they they come on and they say where they're who they are and where they're from. Uh-huh. You know I mean, Cato yeah, yeah. June, Michigan. So, I think the with, Ohio State. That's right, the Ohio State University. With in with, with big time college basketball players now, more and more of them. I think if you were to do that instead of hearing them say, Mac Gaddis, Pike High School, instead of hearing that now, you hear, you know, Jake Query. Indy Spies, like the AAU teams are what play or how players identify themselves now above and beyond the high school team. And the summer circuit is where they're making the recruiting name for themselves above and beyond the activity, you know, Alford versus Blackman on the floor, you know, 53 points in a game or, you know, Odin and Conley winning three straight state titles for Lawrence North. Now it's, did you see what they did in Jonesboro in the AAU you know, national semifinals that the summertime is when guys are making the name for themselves and the the team they're playing for at that point is who they are associating themselves to as opposed to their high school. Thus, why you're seeing these kinds of things. Chat more about this with Greg Gregshaw coming up at eight o'clock. Uh, Mark in the YouTube chat accurately points out here in regards to Philip Rivers and kid number 10 on the way for the Rivers family. Mark says everyone needs a hobby. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of tributaries for sure. I'd say he's pretty good at his hobby. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is true, right? Worth pointing out. Graham's on the ones and twos today. Mark Dykton. Uh, would you say Mark is training, Graham? I'm a hands-off guy. I'm a hands-off approach. <laughs> Glad to know you just woke up. Yeah. Uh, Ryan is also here. Ryan, a student of mine down at Indiana University, hanging out with his girlfriend in Noblesville this summer. He's in studio with us as well. It looks to be a pretty nice Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Potentially some rain. Tomorrow, I'll have to double-check that. But Jake's off to Toronto later today, so we can chat about that again. Greg Rakestraw, 8 o'clock. Tony East at 9, as the Pacers will have summer league game number 4 tonight. Uh, they should have one more later this weekend before they close up shop in Vegas. Good Friday morning to you. Thanks for tuning in to Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, Jake, tonight the Pacers will have game number four in the Summer League. Again, they're veteran guys uh, done for their time in Vegas. Last night, we did see the Summer League debut for Trace Jackson Davis. A hamstring injury had sidelined him for all of Vegas. I actually think Golden State had a few games prior to Vegas, so he had not played yet. 14 points, 7 rebounds, 20 minutes for Trace Jackson Davis. He did not attempt a three-pointer for what it's worth, uh, but a pretty nice debut for him as uh, he begins his journey with the Warriors. The, uh, what was it? You said it was hamstring, right? That it kept him out. Yep. Mm-hmm. So curious to see what he continues to do over the course of the summer league itself. I'll tell you what, Jalen hood has played well, too, for the Lakers and has gotten a decent amount of attention as to the burst that he's had. Mark, can you close the blinds? Uh, breaking news also this morning, sunny and beautiful out today. It looks like a great day. Great day to travel to Toronto, right? It is. Be nice, and I don't know what the weather in Toronto. I think it's supposed to be nice too. It, it, I get thrown off because I look at the weather and like 16 Celsius. Like, okay, sure, I'll bring my boots. Bring my uh, Major League Baseball tonight resuming after the All Star break. It is the cute fella. They are hosting Miami, but most importantly, the Reds and Brewers tonight, seven ten down at Great America, and that one is big to get things off to the right foot. Kevin has already decided that Milwaukee is going to sweep the Red Legs yep, to uh-huh. start the second half Doom of the and season. gloom time, baby. <laughs> Boston, the Red Sox in Chicago to take on the Cubs. The Cardinals are hosting the Washington Nationals and the Oakland Athletics starting out their second half torrid pace. Minnesota Twins going to be there for a That's 940 sweet. Eastern. You think so? Don't you feel that way about Major League Baseball, though? 17 like- people at that game tonight. You run like the JV race until mid-July, and then when you show up after the All-Star break, it's like, all right. Time to get real. Who are the real contenders versus the pretenders? You know, a good question would be, will the world, because there are, what, every division, but I think Atlanta is within two games of each other, right? First Uh to second? Yep. Will the World Series feature, is there any chance the World Series will have both teams be teams that were leading their division at the All-Star break? Or are we going to see somebody that come? You know what I mean. I mean, somebody that's that's just kind of hanging around and then gets hot in the second half of the year and takes off. Feels the like Braves Atlanta did that a couple a years bet. ago, right? Is that the COVID year? That when the Reds didn't score a run in those. No, two the COVID year games? was the Dodgers, right? The Dodgers and Astros. That sounds right. And it was in Dallas. Is that right? Ryan's looking at me like I'm. Ryan, diehard Tigers fan over here. 
What's the question, Jake? We're talking about the World Series near Tigers fans, so you know we're challenging here. Uh, the the COVID year, the World Series when it was remote played in the Dallas area was that was that the Dodgers and the Astros? That was the Do- um, the Dodgers and the Braves or Rays Rays. Dodgers. Dodgers and Rays, really? Okay. The that, Rays are like the most obscure team in the World Series that they've attended. Now, they didn't introduce their players at the All-Star game, right? Did I see that? The Tri- Rays didn't? Oh, well, I guess Major League Baseball did not introduce the Rays player. Trisha Whitaker did not look happy about it on social media. What, they just forgot the guy or what? I, you know, I, Aren't the Rays a tad forgettable, unfortunately? <laughs> I mean, they play in front of more people than do the athletics, right? Greg Rakestraw. The, the at- A's and the Rays playing in front of a combined 37 people on average. Greg Rakestraw going to join us at 8, Tony East at 9, something we'll do a little bit later in the show. Zach Eady was out at the ESPYs earlier this week. I don't think, I maybe I've just missed it. I don't think we've gotten a ton, if any, public comments from Eady on why he is returning to Purdue. Um, so we'll play that audio coming up in a little bit as well. Again, good Friday morning to you. Thanks for tuning in. Kevin Aquari, right here, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin, I love this. Uh, Ryan from Kalamazoo, who is one of your students at IU, is shadowing today. High energy from Ryan. He is feeling confident the Hoosiers are going to shock the world and knock off Ohio State in football this year. Yeah, I don't know if he feels more confident about proposing to his girlfriend in the next six months or (laughs) Trace Jackson Davis' brother. Ryan, you got a girlfriend? Yep, getting married. Okay. Not a lot of college freshmen would, (laughs) would drop a I guess a sophomore now, would drop a line. Like that. Um, Jake, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the week, but if you had to he play... He said they met at a date party. Now, is that, is, is that like the... Through her sorority, correct? Yes. So, a date party is just a party where you go and look for dates? Is that it? Like, is you Bob Eubanks there? You huh? You get invited. Yeah, so, so, she invited you directly, or you just were invited, like, with a big group of dudes? Um, I invited myself. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Invited I like that. myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, go- I- the goal is for a successful date night, but avoid the hobby that Philip Rivers has seemingly accomplished at a very high level well. as child number 10 on the way for the Rivers family here, it sounds like. Um, Tyrese Halliburton made an appearance on Paul George's podcast earlier this week. I know full well there will be a section of Pacers fans that are like, nope, I'm not going to listen. I I don't want to. It's, you know, Paul, I still hate Paul. He did this. He did that. He said this is the softball game. Fine. Um, But I do think if you can kind of separate yourself from that, I thought it was a really good, um, I mean, a long, like two-hour podcast, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it's clear that both of them have a relationship together, and that you know Tyrese had you know texted Paul about uh, Indiana, about the franchise, and certainly as Paul acknowledges at times throughout the podcast, things have changed, but there's still kind of some core values that are still there with the Pacers franchise. We're gonna play a clip from that podcast again. This is Paul George's podcast with Tyrese Halliburton. This one centers around Paul's time in Indiana. So again, from earlier this week, Tyrese Halliburton on the Paul George podcast. Indy yeah, going I mean, up. <laughs> I see y'all. Big Indy. P, what you know, let's talk about your time when you was up in the Indy, though. I enjoyed it. Yeah. You I enjoyed did? my time in Indy. Okay. I want to talk to you about how, how hard was it to get being in a low market team mm-hmm. at the time? 
how hard was it to get players that was good to come to play for y'all? Like how, like, like who was it? I think Anthony Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, the problem was is because it's, 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 and I don't want it to sound bad, but it's, it's Indiana. Like, so when people would go, you know, free agency, they go out West immediately. Right. Phoenix, Lakers, you know, Clippers, you know, everybody's going to go to the big destinations, right? For us, it was just like, all right, now how do we cycle through whoever else that wasn't picked to go to these bigger markets? You know what I mean? And that was just the challenge we had. And But I think when, like, guys went there, they was like, oh, the culture they love, the training staff, like, you know, Carl and Josh. Yeah. Since I've been in the league, there's one of the best trainers I ever had in my in my career. They keep people healthy and, and like, you know, guys will come in and be like, yo, y'all training staff is, is crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, bro, this was hurting on me. This, like, that's gone now. And it didn't, at the time, I didn't realize it. Like, because I was, that was, Indy was the only team I knew. But at the time, it was like, you know, it, it that's that's what the talk was. But then, um, like, I think just from our culture standpoint, same thing. When guys came over, it was just different than what they used to. And I loved it. It's probably different now from from, you know, the 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 culture that you guys have now, the team. But when I was there, it was like I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say it was military. But it was damn near close, like. But like, would you say that's the cult? Like, that's the culture you walked into. That's like, the culture I walked into. Right. So it was like that when, like, right when you got there. <clears throat> right when I got there, and I loved it because I'm a person that deals that that does well with structure. So I love the culture of yeah. like. I mean, I don't know. They they still fine for like late on treatment Everything. time. I Everything. I love that. Everything, bro. If I'm, I be, I be getting so mad at Josh. I be like, you know, I'm 30 minutes away from the gym. So sometimes traffic might hit or summer. Right. Or I, I, I stopped and I started talking to, talking to somebody on my way to treatment. But like uh-huh. our treatment times be knocked down. Like, all right, 8.45, 9 o'clock, 9.15. Yeah. Like I walk in there, if I'm at 8.45 treatment, I walk in there 8.47. He don't say, they just say, what up? Like everything's sweet. Slip. When I get to my locker, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> What is that? So fine. I'm like, oh, no, nah, this is crazy. Well, you yeah. for two minutes. Two man. minutes, bro. You late for two minutes. And, and you could be in the building, but if you ain't in that room or on that table at 845. On that table. You're How fine. much is the fine? Do you want to disclose that or are you? <laughs> See, I, I would agree with you there that that's Paul George really endorsing the franchise in a lot of ways. I, I, I think that <clears throat> I, I do believe that the comment of there, there was definitely friction with Paul George and Larry Bird about Paul George having to play the power forward position, and Paul didn't make the decisions around here. That 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 quote will always jump out. I think it was a little bit overblown when Paul George. The perception was that he went to the Pacers and said, "Hey, I talked to Anthony Davis, and he's willing to come here. Let's make a trade." And the Pacers said, "Nah, we can't do that." I don't think that's exactly how that went down. But the reality is this, Kevin. The Pacers put a lot of money into the St. Vincent, and I, I'm not sure the exact name of it, but the, the facility they have. I've gone through it. I've gone through and seen all of it. I mean, everything from the cafeteria area to the the workout pools to the waiting pools to the, the treatment rooms, all of it. And it's state-of-the-art. And for the NBA, it's state-of-the-art. Yeah, certainly. And – the one challenge that the Pacers have, and it's the same challenge that, quite frankly, Milwaukee has and Detroit has, 
and I truly believe this, I don't know that it's as much the perception of market. And don't kid yourself. I mean, when we had the woman on from Altitude to talk about Bruce Brown from Denver, I mean, she talked about Indianapolis, remember? And she's like, well, keep in mind, I went to college in Bloomington, Illinois, so I know what it's like over there. I mean, Bloomington, Illinois is literally in the middle of a cornfield. That's the perception of Indianapolis still. Maybe not as much so as it once was, but that's there. there is that element of it. But I think the bigger challenge in the for the Pacers in getting players here, quite frankly, is this simple. And that is, when you play in the NBA, you know that whatever city you're playing for, you are moving there in early October and leaving in April. So that means November, December, January, February. Uh, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Detroit, Philly for that matter. I think people are like, I don't want to go somewhere where I don't see the sun and it's 10 degrees. I think that's the number one obstacle. And then there are certainly other cultural aspects of Indianapolis that might hold itself back a little bit. But so I I I under I believe what Paul George is saying there. Look, the challenge was getting other guys to come here just because the elite levels are going to go to and what did he say? Phoenix, Miami, Los Angeles. What do they all have in common? They're culturally diverse and that the weather's beautiful. Yeah, I will be really interested over the next handful of years the presence of Halliburton and what can that do? You know, how big of a pro is that for guys in viewing this as a poten- a potential destination? You know, it's going to be one weekend out of the year, and it certainly is not the norm. But you know, does the All Star Game coming up in February does that change? You know, what that perception looks like. But I think kind of getting away from that debate, which obviously is a debate that we have on an annual basis about the Pacers when it comes to free agency and things like that. I do think again, Pacers fans would enjoy listening to that podcast. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good back and forth. They get into a lot of other things that are not just necessarily like Indiana centric. I mean, certainly there's more Pacers talk with that, but you know, both of them kind of sharing. I thought it was a really funny back and forth. Both of them being like, "Okay, what uh, what is your biggest weakness on the basketball floor? Like, what can you not do?" Paul George was talking about how when he jumps, he can only go off of like a, a certain leg uh, pattern, if you will. Like, like he he's got a, he says he's not a natural jumper off both legs. Um, I found that to be interesting. Halliburton was like, I feel like I'm incapable of playing slow. And yeah, I guess maybe that's not the biggest weakness in the world. You look at the Pacers last year, their transition was right up there with anybody in the league. Uh, Paul had a great Larry Bird story. You know, one of those stories of, you know, Larry's dressed in, you know, slacks and a button down shirt. And Paul says he's never seen him shoot a basketball in his life. And next thing you know, the ball rolls over to Larry in the corner. Larry fires up a three, it goes in, swish, and just walks out of the gym. And Paul's just sitting there in awe of like, oh my gosh, that's why he is one of the greatest of all time. So um, I thought it was a fun, uh, pretty much two hours of the podcast there. And and I, maybe time is healing it, Jake, but I, I don't know. I feel like some Pacers fans have maybe softened a little bit on their stance of Paul George. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think George and Halliburton have something in common. And in Halliburton, so we'll focus on the Halliburton side of it. You know, I think people think Paul George is from L.A. I mean, he's from far suburban outside of L.A. And Fresno, he went to Fresno State. Fresno's like, uh, you know, I mean, that's has really, the state is the only thing it shares with Los Angeles. But Tyrese Halliburton, like when I talked to him, what did he say? Look, I'm from a town that's smaller than most, you know, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I know he's born in Milwaukee, but he grew up in Oshkosh, went to high school in Oshkosh, went to college in Iowa. This is not a guy that, yeah, that is, is girlfriend used at to the glitz and glamour. Right. So... 
being off the radar is going to be not off the radar, but you know what I mean. Being in a city that doesn't have the media spotlight, Reggie Miller craved that re- media spotlight, and yet he managed to get it here for 18 years. I've always said people that say that you can't get media endorsements and dollars in Indianapolis need to realize the most advertised athlete and marketed athlete in professional sports of the mid 2000s was Peyton Manning when he was the, co- the quarterback of the Colts. It can be done if you're a star. Pacers' final summer league, I guess, regular season game coming up tonight. That is a 7 o'clock tip against the Mavs. They should have one more game this weekend. Again, expect a whole lot of run for those rookies. We'll see if Jairus Walker continues to play. I assume he'll play another game, but if I'm not mistaken, I think Benedict Matherin didn't play the entire summer league schedule last year. Obviously, Ben Shepard, Isaiah Wong, Oscar Shibway, some of those other guys getting more run for the Pacers here to close out Summer League. All right, on the other side, we'll talk to Greg Rankshaw, get his thoughts on the Canaan Canaan catching situation and more. We'll do that with Rank next here. Kevin DeCorey, 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jake, you're going to see uh, history this weekend in Toronto? What history would I be seeing? Tell me that. That'd be four straight for Alex Pelot. Is that right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot he's he's going for that. I'm trying to think of what, what's the record, though. Didn't uh, first time since 2006 Sebastian yeah, Bourdais has won? DeMata, I think, would have had. I, I think the record is... So Bobby Unser with seven in a row, maybe? I'd have to look that up, actually. Um, but Pelot's red hot. But, I, you know, Dixon won there last year. It's a tight track. Toronto's fun, though, man. I, I'm i sitting here looking right now uh, at our hotel. We, we kind of bounce back and forth, but our hotel's right by the big square, like the kind of the Times Square of Toronto. So it should be fun. And I've, I've got the orders for mints from you guys from Roots. Mark, I think, bypassing the ketchup potato chips because well, those are I, I don't think i was offered those those are available now in the dorito variation yeah no, i haven't tried those yet have i you? could dabble I'm but not. but certainly those maple mints in honor of zach Eady. that's right. like one of those okay see what i can do uh let's head to the pale Slickers hotline greg gregstraw joins us now obviously isc sports network and uh we'll spray a lot of fields here with rake coming up but let's begin with the canaan catching story rake again the five-star purdue commit Heading into his senior season at Brownsburg, he is now off to Overtime Elite, which is run by Damian Wilkins, former NBA player down in Georgia. We saw the Thompson brothers, Asar and Amen, just get drafted into the NBA out of Overtime Elite. Again, they have options there. You can elect the pro route or the college route. For now, it sounds like Kanan is certainly sticking with that college route. Uh, Rake your level of surprise when you saw this. Not very. I'm disappointed, um, but but not very. Uh, there had been kind of rumblings that, uh, that that he and the family maybe is a little bit unhappy for whatever reason uh, with Brownsburg. Uh, there's a, there is tremendous talent there, but you just kind of got the feeling that that maybe they felt he was bigger than that, which is kind of a shame. So uh, so he is moving on. Wish him the best of luck. Stinks for Brownsburg. Um, they were going to be one of the of the better teams in the state because of whom their coach is and Steve Lynch. They're always going to be good. They're always going to be tough. Uh, but but they go from being a 
state finals contender to being you know just just kind of a solid high school basketball team now by the way kevin uh, aj foyt seven straight 1964 is the record just to clarify that um greg i, I wanted to, to piggyback kind of off what you were saying there and, and i understand it you know for catchings I, I I totally get the fact that if you are somebody that sees yourself as you know a five star rising recruit, etc., it probably is in the best interest of your game to play the best preparatory for professional level competition that you can. And overtime elite probably provides that better than does say going up against Avon. I, I mean, I get it, right? But. Do we run the risk, in your opinion, of seeing kids make that kind of a move, not to overtime elite, but equivalent thereof, that are in over their head? In other words, that make a decision to bypass a traditional high school opportunity and everything that comes with that aside from basketball because someone is selling them a bill of goods that their game has more you know potential than it does i think that can happen from time to time uh and you stated it well that is not the case with cannon catchings kid can play um there there are some skills that he needs to develop but there are some skills that he is blessed with um that that others are not going to have um my point is this is that the level of coaching and the level of competition that you get here in the state of indiana i don't think you need to be that guy that leaves here um, other places where the level of coaching and level of talent isn't as good as it is here, yeah, I get it. Uh, you know, going to an IMG, a Montverde, an Oak Hill, an Overtime Elite, you know, insert name of, of you know, Finley Prep, uh, a, a preparatory program, uh, La Lumiere here in this state. Um, again, that that's you're, – you're playing better basketball, but there's things that you miss out, I think, from the general human experience. And, frankly, I think from – kind of how you are viewed for the next 25 to 30 to 35 years and beyond that I think are very negative with a move like this. And again, the, the, the coaching that he got at Brownsburg is fantastic. Steve's a heck of a high school basketball coach. Steve has experience, significant experience in college basketball. The staff that he has put together at Brownsburg is as good as any staff in the state. So, yeah, there are some advantages he will gain, I think there are some disadvantages in this decision as well. Rake, last one from me on the catchings front. It does seem like there is some probably necessary context around his situation. And I thought his mom was pretty honest with Kyle Nenrip yesterday in the Star and in, in describing, you know, the traditional school maybe hasn't been, you know, Canaan's thing. And I think, you know, whether it's academically, whether it's emotionally, if you talk to people around the Brownsburg program, you know, that there are other factors contributing to this than purely, uh, you know, basketball competition at Overtime Elite. Obviously, you would think that is the driving force of it. But to the earlier point you made about it being a bummer correct me if i'm wrong i think you guys were you know going to broadcast a kane and catchings jack benter game coming up this this season from a you know purdue commit standpoint and i brought this up to jake earlier it almost seems like rake if the state of indiana produces four top 100 kids in every class it it seems like it'll be a miracle if three or four of them make it through their entire four years in indiana high schools Moving forward. You, just, you, you just don't need it. Um, and the event you're talking about is the Hall of Fame Classic. Um, and I'm, I'll be curious to see. We, we, there's been kind of a precedent set, and I, I think it'll, be in, be, it'll need to be initiated by the school 
But when Jaden Ivey left Mishawak and Marion for, uh, you know, La Lumiere, I want to say four years ago, Mishawak and Marion was set to be in the Hall of Fame Classic. They voluntarily withdrew, uh, and Lafayette Jeff replaced them. Uh, and so the, the four teams that are set to be in the Hall of Fame Classic on the boys' side this year are Kokomo of Florida Badunga, Crispus Attucks, who maybe has their best team since they have reformed as a high school. Um, and then you mentioned it, Brownstown and Brownsburg with the pair of Purdue commits. I, I don't know, knowing, knowing Steve and knowing Drew Tower, the AD over at Brownsburg, I think they'd like to stay in it and, and, and kind of fight and battle and, and show that, hey, I think we're, we're more than, than, than just a, a very talented player uh, in, in catchings. Um, but we'll see if they stay in that event. But, no, we, we would see Brownsburg a good deal on our schedule, and we'll see if that changes. And so this, Greg, for all intent and purposes, not that it probably wasn't already the case, but barring injury, this pretty much seals Mr. Basketball, right? I think Mr. Basketball was side sealed and delivered already. Uh, Catchings was going to be a, a very good runner-up, if not Jack Benner. Um, but but no, the, the award was already Flory Badungas. Uh, and, and I say this knocking on wood, fingers and toes crossed. Barring something of, of, of an injury, it's Mr. Basketball belongs to Flory Badunga. And so I've heard with Badunga, who I've not seen play a lot, Greg, you have. Greg Rakestra is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. With Badunga, what I've heard about him, you tell me if accurate, a uh, wonderful player, obviously, you know, all the bells and whistles, all the potential in the world. But at this point, more ad- from a collegiate standpoint, further ahead of the game, probably defensively than he is in terms of versatility offensively. Is that a fair analysis of him? Very much so. He is a power five level defender, rebounder, shot blocker, teammate person. Uh, his offensive game is still a work in progress. Uh, he is a good passer out of the post, but he is really a, a – a, he's not a pick-and-pop big. He is a rim-running big at this point. Uh, his field goal percentage at Kokomo last year was 81% because the majority of his shots came from above the rim uh, on dunks. He has worked to develop his offensive game, um, but again, that's something that you know college coaches will feel they can continue to work on in the year or two that he would play college basketball. Because, again, I think every other skill set he has translates to the pros so easily. Okay, Greg Rankshaw is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We are less than two weeks away from the Colts heading up to Grand Park for training camp. Rake, I'm not sure if you caught the Jim Mercer comments earlier this week. I don't know if that was the day you were – filling in or not but basically you know Jim Irsay said something to the effect of he has a chance I, I don't know when you hear that he has a chance if you interpret that as he has a chance to be ready day one of camp the start of the regular season he has a chance to play again at all um, where are you at on the Shaquille Leonard and I guess just like level of overall worry about his impact to the football team because Zaire Franklin, you know, had a great, great season last year in replacing him, but Bobby Okereke is no longer right. here. Very concerned is my level. Um, and, and you knew that with the contract Zaire had signed before last year and the way that Zaire played, that Bobby was not going to come back. You know, it was almost reminiscent of the Bill Polian days where he was like, there are certain guys you knew, hey, that guy is not getting re-signed. It's not because anything the guy did wrong. It's just there's X amount in the budget, and right now that budget is busted by Shaquille Leonard. 
and so my level of concern on the impact of what Shaq is going to be for this football team is significant uh, because I'm not sure that really anybody knows exactly how is he, he is going to respond as he has been so plagued by injuries the last two years, able to play through it uh, and still be a playmaker, even if at about oh, 75 80% two years ago, and then barely seeing the field and being a liability when he was on the field the limited times he was a year ago. So my level of concern would be significant about what number 53 can be able to do for this football team uh, and, and forget what training camp looks like in two weeks. Everything for him is about September the 10th. What sort of shape will he be in both physically and mentally? More starts this year for Gardner Menchu or Shaquille Leonard? Uh, oh, oh, oh. I would hope Shaquille Leonard. Um, I would still lean towards Shaquille Leonard, and that has nothing to do with, with Shaq. That has something to do with, um, I think, every opportunity will be given to Anthony Richardson uh, to play as many games as possible. Greg, when you really read like the precedent of tea leaves, Greg Rakestra, our guest here, in terms of player injuries for the Colts and the way that they answer the questions or address it, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm talking about Jim Irsay, who I think is pretty candid, and, and I've yep. always appreciated his transparency in that, right? Um, but when he was asked about Shaquille Leonard, his answer to me based on precedent, was essentially saying, we don't really have a, a real clear idea here. I, this could be, he may have a chance to go by the beginning of the year, or it might be mid-October and we're having this same conversation. That was my interpretation. What say you? I'm, I'm in the same boat. Again, I, I think it is a giant question mark. It is a great unknown. I think that there will be lots of, of side work and work that we do not see in terms of the open practices. Uh, and I think the Colts, and understandably so, will play it very close to the vest as to exactly what his status is going to be come for September the 10th. Rick, you had a great tweet earlier this week. Um, I had a pennant up on my wall when I was growing up of the first ever game at Victory Field uh, yeah. 27 years ago. Is that the number sure. this week? Uh, That's correct. Your tweet said you were on the field. Fill me in a little bit more on on, on Rake's duties and what you recall about that first game ever at Victory Field. So so this is a great story. So in the summer of 1996, I was 19 years old. I was between my sophomore and junior years of college, and I did a news internship with Channel 13. Not a sports internship, a news internship. And it was great because I got to do a lot because it was the summer of the 96 Olympics in Atlanta – so, like, 13 sent half of their staff, um, you know, down that direction. I got to, like, assist in writing the 530 newscast on a daily basis. I also learned I did not want to do television news for a living. Um, and that wasn't because I had a bad experience. It just wasn't me. It confirmed, hey, you're a sports dork. You know, stick in that lane and, and be over there. But what Channel 13 was great at doing back then is they would take their newscast live on the – not like reporters, but like everybody. Take, take the entire set – and, and, and do their show live. So I was on the field the final day of Bush Stadium, July 3rd of 1996. Uh, I specifically remember Bob Gregory using the old uh, wooden scoreboard in left field. And they, instead of like the American Association standings, they had like the high temperatures that day in like the other <laughs> seven cities. 
in, in the American Association. And the Nashville Sounds had a bounty on Bob's head as to who could try to hit him or the scoreboard in batting practice. Um, then eight days later, uh, the opener against the Oklahoma City 89ers, I was on the field um, up until the 6 o'clock newscast. And because at that time, I was two years removed from being a fairly decent high school baseball player. Uh, John Stair had played a little baseball at Gannon College, now Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania. My job was to hit fungos to John um, for... Um, you know they, they were he, you know they were trying to show him catching things and 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 being a part of batting practice as part of a package they were doing. So on the opening day, we of need video field, of you, Rake, and this and this fungo. There's no there's no video of me. There's video of John somewhere in the 13 archives catching pop up after pop up. I'm the one hitting him to him. <laughs> so so who did Greg? Because I have what I believe to be a correct trivia question here. So who did the Indianapolis Indians play in the final game at Bush Stadium. Do you recall? The Nashville Sounds. Okay. And then they played, you said, Oklahoma City to open Victory Field, right? Correct, yes. And then after that, did they play Nashville? Uh, they would have played, I mean, in the, in the American Association days, they, there were only seven teams. You basically were by 24 times. So it was, at that time, would have been Omaha, Nashville, New Orleans, um, and Oklahoma City in the West. I am almost the- certain. The reason I say it, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm almost certain of this. I don't remember the guy's name. Yep. I'm 99% certain, Greg, that the the guy that hit the final home run at Bush Stadium is the same player that hit the very first home visiting home run in Victory Field. It's well, Lee Stevens hit the first one at Victory Field, but I don't think he would have been with Nashville. I know the last base hit at Bush is Pokey Reese. You know, bottom of the ninth, Indians lost that game. Indians lost, I want to say, 5-3 to the 89ers in the first game at Victory Field. Because I actually, I was on the field during the day. Then I left to go run the board over at 1260 for the opening night. Um, So so Lee Stevens, you said, hit the first one you said? Lee, Lee Stevens has the first home run in Victory Field. I forget who has the last homer at Bush Stadium. Was Stevens with the Indians, though? Stevens was not with no. He's with Oklahoma City. He was a visiting player. Okay, because he later played with the Indians, right? <clears throat> right. Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. Because he was that was during the last stint of the Reds being an affiliate of uh, the Indianapolis Indian affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds, and he later played with the Reds, I believe. Rick, I'll be totally honest with you. Um, the event tonight, North South All Star Game, right? You're on the call. Yep. Correct. I, I am almost a little surprised that the game still goes on, considering how you know colleges try to kind of get a hold of their incoming uh, high school players. Uh, certainly, football. There is obviously the physical component to it with these guys starting training camp here pretty soon. Um, it's a little bit different than basketball, where you do it in you know early June. Obviously, the physical toll is different, and certainly the basketball season doesn't start until later in the fall. Uh, but the North South All Star Game still operating as usual in Decatur Central. Is that the location? That is correct on, on both fronts. And, you know, the, the, the IFCA, the Indian Football Coach Association, uh, over the last 10 years, you basically have not gotten the Division One kids because those kids are, are in camp. Um, the Indiana State kids oftentimes will play in this game. Kurt Mallory will send the kids over to play. You know, the D2, D3, NAIA kids uh, also end up playing in this game because they don't report to camp until early August. And occasionally – 
at that level, you'll see true freshman play. But a lot of times, because of the physical differences, you're playing against 22- and 23-year-olds. Those kids are often redshirting anyway. Um, and so you, it, it really is an all-star game for a lot of kids that are going to Uindy and Marion and Wabash and Franklin, and et cetera, and things like that. You could have the option of playing this game, say, in December at Lucas Oil. Uh, but at that point, you would run into losing kids that are basketball players or wrestlers and you couldn't have kind of the, the, the week-long camp experience that you have now, even though the kids really report on Tuesday at this point and practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then go play the game on Friday. So the IFCA guys have elected to, hey, let's, let's keep this as a summertime game. It's still a really good level of football. And I would think we're going to see four or 5,000 people at Decatur Central Night because the, 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 the community support for any kid that makes this game always tends to be really, really big. Gosh, I'm starting to look at the calendar, Rake. Uh, is it four weeks, five weeks away? It is always th- this game. A couple of years it was six, but most years it is five weeks. So we are 35 days away from the start of the high school football season in Indiana. Not from a practice standpoint, from a games played standpoint. Crazy. God, you just blink. You just blink and all of a sudden it is here. Rake, have a great call tonight. As always, thanks for the time here on this Friday morning, man. You got it, fellas. Jake Eflin in Toronto. All right, thanks, Greg. That is the great Greg Rakestraw right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. This from uh, Mike here, Jake. Uh, the random minor league high school sports info that Rake knows is quite something. Oh, for sure. Random being the key word there. You and Rake would probably be a good little battle in that realm. I think his depth goes. I mean, if it, it for me, everything muddies once I turn like twenty-five. But from well, that's a bummer because that's half your life. From seventy-two to ninety-seven, I'm probably pretty good, right? I was at the last game, by the way, at Victory Field or excuse me, Bush Stadium. My I went with my parents and my mom's childhood friend Janet Fox and her son Ryan, who's my age, Ryan Fox. We went to the Indians game. They came out and they they did like a big production when they turned out the lights, and I don't know how. I don't know if we were allowed to go on the field or what it was, or I, I don't remember how it came to be, but I still have, and this is probably really weird, but I still have the program, and inside the program, I have like a plastic sleeve where I went out and took like four leaves of the ivy off the like left field wall of Bush Stadium. And at that time, because I thought Bush Stadium was going to be torn down. Of course, now, as we know, it's, you know, condominiums or whatever it is yeah. over there. A buddy I, of mine lived, lived over there. It was nice having a beer on that porch one Did time. you really what, – what, what were they like in there? Yeah, it was, it was nice. Yeah. I the, mean, nothing, nothing crazy, but yeah. Certainly got the, the, got the job. That area, done. I think, Kevin, there was, there was great hope – that that area would be that that would be kind of the anchor of that area becoming like a fountain square type area where there was you know kind of a revitalization of the area itself you now have and i always forget the name of it the brewery that's now right across the street which is fabulous i mean there's a microbrew place across the street that's fabulous and then of course the big muffler guy oh yeah rosie's so afraid of him every time we drive by <laughs> but outside of that like it's there's not as much uh, coon stadium you know didn't yeah. take off or i don't know if what the plans were yeah, at that, just, point. that that area kind of got bypassed a little bit with like the main street of speedway and all south that. south grove golf course home of our sectional high school really mm-hmm. they have a stretch horse on the first tee there where did you win the state 
uh, at the Legends in Franklin. You ever been? I've not. I mean, I'm. You know what? I take that back. I might have done a show. Bob there Knight, once. Don Fisher, big golfers at random. Is that points where he? Is lives. that where Bob Knight filmed his show? <laughs> was that? Was that the Martinsville Golf Club with? Golf and, what was the long golf time your way? Is that the bunker shot? Oh, there's. You know, one of the things, Kevin, that. I mean, there was a legality to it, so it's probably a good thing I didn't do it. One thing that I did do, when I worked at Channel 6, I would spend hours. You ask anybody that worked there, they'll be like, yeah, he's not lying about that. I would be in the Channel 6 building for hours just looking at old videotapes. The Channel 6 library, the basement of Channel 6, it looks like a library of books, but it's not. It's it's beta tapes because every newscast was archived. And chronologically, I mean, the, the news tapes of here here's what aired on August 23rd of 1991, you know, whatever. Every single day of every news story that's ever been done at Channel 6. And then in addition to that, there's another room that Dave first and I called the Roach Room because he'd turn the lights on and everything would scurry. And that was all of the film of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway from 19, probably the mid-50s, all the way through, where all of that was stored. There's not a single news historical event in this town, quite frankly, that I can't walk into Channel 6 right now and tell you exactly where that videotape is. I know where everything is. And because I would just spend hours upon hours upon hours looking stuff up, I would be fascinated by it. And like, oh, man, I want to read about or I want to see about how it was covered with this or that, all the different stories. And one of the things that I did do, we had – probably not hours worth, but a, Kevin, significant amount of videotape of Bob Knight exploits over the course of his 29 years in Indiana that never saw the light of public air. Oh, boy. And I had two VHS tapes. Brad Brown, get us Stuff those? like that. I mean, I know exactly where, like, I'm sure the VHS tape that I dubbed is still in the building, actually. I, n- I never personally took it home because it's, it's their intellectual property. Um Brad Brown did. I know we're up against it, but Brad Brown, I will give him a lot of credit, and I'm I'm forever grateful for this. The only thing that I've ever done in television that I wanted a copy of, where I called Brad Brown, who's now, of course, the sports director at RTV6. Uh, Tony Gwynn lived in Indy part-time. You've heard me tell the story. When Ted Williams passed away, I was working, and Tony Gwynn called the Channel 6 Sports Office. I had serendipitously met Tony Gwynn a few years prior and knew that he lived in Indy and we knew mutual people. Tony Gwynn called the Channel 6 Sports Office the day that Ted Williams passed away. I happened to be the only person working. And he said, hey, it's Tony. I didn't know if I could come down. I just want to get. I just want to be able to talk about Ted Williams. I'm like, what are you kidding me? Like, you're now the, the greatest living hitter, of course. We'll see if we can fit you in here. Yeah. So literally, I said, well, when did you want to come down? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm downtown. I'm in the area now. And Otis Jones, a photographer. We, oh, I love Otis. Oh, he's the best. I think it was, yeah, it was Otis. We went out and, and set up two chairs in the front of the Channel 6. We made like a little makeshift sit-down studio outside because it was a beautiful day. And I did a sit-down with Tony Gwynn about Ted Williams. And I love Tony Gwynn. 
as a player and as a person, loved him. So because he passed, I, I got to thinking about it, and I called Brad Brown and said, you know what? I would love to have a copy of that interview. And Brad went and found it. I said, here's where it is in the archives. And Brad went and found it and made a copy of it and sent it to me. That's the only thing from there that I still have like that copy of. But the Knight stuff, man. There was one time where Knight was was in a golf outing. I can tell this now. And I don't think his his – I think his either his golf ball went errantly down into a creek or he was – using the bathroom down by the creek but um <laughs> or both that's right but all of the local photographers were shooting it as he came walking back up the hill and he throws down his golf clubs and throws his bag and says i'm telling you right now if any of this airs on television your stations will never step foot in bloomington again and you can hear one of the photographers like we won't put it on coach like we're not going to air it coach and he's like and and he has that you know knight had that look in his eyes where the light switch went off and he said, I'm telling you right now, believe me when I tell you this, if this airs you, and I mean every colorful word you can think of in the book, will never, ever cover another basketball game, and I will see to it that your, that your stations, not just you, but your stations are never credentialed access to anything in Bloomington, in the town of Bloomington ever again. And Steve Denny, who later went on to NFL Films and worked at Channel 6, which is that's the videotape you're watching, Steve Denny just keeps rolling and is like laughing. And Bob Knight comes at him with a golf club. And Steve Denny's like, I'm just doing my job, man. Like, hit the ball straight. I'm just doing my job. Steve Denny gave zero Fs. Clearly. And and Knight just looked at him like, are you kidding me? And and I think Knight kind of respected that stuff, right? And then just got on his golf cart and, you you people with your – and then I remember he's, you know, they ought to shoot every last one of you. And then he got in his golf cart and sped away, went to the next hole. And then, I, you know, probably the next day saw Steve Denny. Hey, what's up? Yeah, not incredibly fond of the media industry. Bob <laughs> Knight. Is, that is correct. Uh, we're going to play a Zach Eady clip coming up here in a few. Again, Zach at the ESPYs earlier this week. I don't think we've had many, if any, public comments from him, um, particularly on camera, about his decision to return to Purdue. Um, so we'll play that clip for you here coming up in a few. But for now, a morning check down here on Kevin and Corey. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. First off, let's get to the big breaking news here, Kevin. This just happening right here, and I've got to read it. Hey, Jake, my name is John Kirk. I'm the publicity vice president for the Circus City Festival in Peru, Indiana. (laughs) On behalf of the Circus City Festival of Peru, I would like to formally invite you to come next week. Let me know what day works best, and I'll get you tickets. You're tossing peanuts to the elephant. I am going, baby. I'm putting on my big floppy shoes and driving me to Peru. Don't you love the line on behalf? (laughs) Yeah. We've got the suite at the Best Western right off 31. Calling your name. Bring Shannon. Bring Boo. Bring everybody. Shannon. Shannon. Elephant ears you can eat. Shannon. Native of a year. Native of Denver, Colorado. Shannon Walsh thrilled to know that on Wednesday we got ourselves a date up 31. Let's go. Unbelievable. (laughs) I am all in, baby. Last night in Summer League action, Trace Jackson Davis made his debut. 14 points and 7 rebounds for Trace in 20 minutes of action. 
And it's been a hamstring injury that sidelined Trace for really the past week plus. Uh, if you watched last night, typical Trace in terms of how he scored, you know, excelling on the pick and roll, great cutting, finishing around, around the rim, all of those things. Did not attempt a three-pointer for what it's worth. So, Trace Jackson Davis again, Summer League debut for him. The Pacers Summer League continues tonight. They've got the Mavericks at 7 o'clock. It'll be game four of five for the Pacers. Again, they are at the point now where they are playing the youth of the Summer League, the real youth, and that would be Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard, Isaiah Wong, Mojave King, those draft picks. Uh, so no more Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard and Isaiah Jackson in Summer League. Did you see, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned it already. If you did, I apologize because I'm heading the clouds over the circus here. Uh, Obi Toppin, did you see the jersey number? Uh, Uno, Obi-1. Obi-1, baby. Who said it? Who was the first to say it? Obi-1, baby. Uh, Jarris Walker switching now to jersey number five, I believe, right? Were you the right? first? I, I feel like there was a lot of people I, out the there saying Obi-1. The second that he came here, I was like, he has to be number one, right? Yes, I was the first. Come on. Probably his entire career, people have called him Obi-Wan. Jairus Walker was 25, I believe, at Houston, so the switch there to number 5 for Jairus Walker. Uh, Major League Baseball resuming, of course, tonight after the All-Star break. It is the cute fellow. That's the Baltimore Orioles hosting the Miami Marlins, but most importantly, Reds hosting the Brewers. That's a big one in the NL Central. 7-10 first pitch, Great America Ballpark in Cincinnati. Cubs hosting the Red Sox. The Cardinals are hosting the Washington Nationals. The Oakland Athletics looking for win number like 14 on the year, something like oh, that. Oh, higher than that. <laughs> well, probably half the crowd is, yeah. Uh, hosting the Minnesota Twins. Also in baseball, by the way, Jim Foster out at Northwestern as the head baseball coach after allegations there of hazing taking place within the Northwestern baseball program. They're like, oh, good time to release this now. Let's just sweep this one right. under the old rug. Uh, all right, Toronto is where Jake is heading here later today. It is a very busy time for IndyCar over the next four weeks. Get five races in four weeks, two in Iowa next weekend, uh, then Nashville back to Indianapolis uh, for another road course race here. Jake, the lead for Alex Pillow. If we played out this scenario 100 times, he wins the season series. How many of them? 98. He's got a huge. I mean, assuming that he is able to start the rest of the races and doesn't have an injury or something like that, or something doesn't happen, uh, he has put himself in a very, very good position. But this is also the time of year, typically, when Scott Dixon kind of gets going. Um, but you know, Dixon won at Toronto last year. He's going to need that kind of a start to, to kind of jumpstart things. But uh, it is certainly Pelos to lose no doubt about that race can be heard on sunday by the way on this radio station at 1 30 p.m and don't think you're just going to flip on the old tube sunday and find it uh it takes a peacock subscription to find this week's race this is exclusively on peacock so uh jake and company obviously always a great listen but i have a feeling a few more will be tuning in for that as jake said 1 30 coming up on sunday on these airways by the way uh ryan who's shadowing us is, is currently looks like online shopping what are we looking at here uh, ohio shirts right <laughs> okay he's a native of michigan he's looking up some sort of ohio sucks what do you got there ryan i'm looking at a shirt that says tips for driving in ohio and it has all the plays that michigan uh used to score against ohio state in november <laughs> last year okay now, you said tips for driving, right? I want to make sure that we clarify that there. Yeah. Tips for driving? Tips for driving in Ohio. That's actually a pretty cool shirt. I think it's a great shirt. Yeah. That, that rivalry is unlike. 
really any other. It's probably uh, the best in sports, yes, other than Army-Navy. Ryan is in with us. That would be a student of mine from Bloomington. He is very excited about this appearance that he has made in studio, visiting his girlfriend here. We've got Graham on the ones and twos as he's doing a little training. Mark Dykton is still with us here on this Friday morning. On the other side, Zach Eady had a fun week, it looked like, out at the ESPYs. Um, we'll explain more on that end and why Edie's returning to Purdue. We'll play that clip coming up on the other side. Kevin Aquari here on a Friday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 21 minutes before the hour of 9 o'clock. Good morning to you. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen and a cast of hundreds in here in the drivehubler.com studio on 93.5107.5 The Fan. 24 years ago today was the release of the most overrated garbage movie of all time that we'll get to in just a bit. But before that, um, we know that Zach Eadie's coming back to Purdue finally, perhaps, even though I think we have a general guess as to why, Kevin, um... Got some audio from him, right? Yeah, he was at the ESPYs earlier this week. Kind of a cool picture of him and um, John Jones at one of the after parties there. Obviously a great experience for Edie being in that sort of limelight. Uh, But yeah, I don't think, I don't know, maybe I just missed it, that we've had much, if any, uh, comments from Zach Edie on why he did return to Purdue. Um, So this clip will play, again, coming up here um, from the red carpet at the ESPYs earlier this week. Zach Edie on why he was returning to Purdue. It was a bunch of different things. Um, at the end of the day, I kind of just wanted to do what, what would make me the most happy. I think um, kind of taking another year, you know, the NBA, is, it's obviously a great game. It's obviously a great thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a business. College, I think it's a lot of people in the NBA who you said, like, you could make around the same money in college versus the NBA. Would you go back to college for a year? Probably a lot of people would go back to college. So I just thought that I have a great, great group of guys around me, great team around me. Um, I've never been this close with a locker room in my life. And I felt like I didn't want to just kind of skip by this to go to the NBA. I wanted to another year to really uh, enjoy and appreciate it and then compete for a national championship you know he is going to be doing along with Purdue something that I'm doing this weekend and that is going to Canada they're going to play a game that's because Kevin as we have talked about by the NIL rules in order for Zach Eady to be able to get name image likeness money as a Canadian national at a United States university, they had to perform, he has to perform a game, play a game in Canada. And that's why they scheduled the game in Canada in case he was going to be back. Thus, the, I would assume, seven figures that he's going to make this year. He's right. He can make the same money that he would have made, especially if he'd have been a second round or later pick in the NBA, he's going to make that money in NIL money at Purdue. Yeah, I thought it was a really honest answer on welcome to decision-making in college basketball in 2023. And probably college sports would be the better way to put it. Um, Yeah, I was talking with somebody in the Purdue Athletic Department a few weeks ago, and I said, all right, let me throw out a number. Zach Eady is coming back to Purdue, and his NIL is around a million dollars. And this person looked at me and was like, yep, that sounds about right. And when you look at you know what second round contracts could look like, again, not everybody falls into the Trace Jackson Davis situation where it's a four year deal and the GM's brother is Trace's agent and it's two years guaranteed. You know, obviously second round draft picks can look like a ton of different things. I mean, the Pacers drafted a dude that is going to go back overseas in Mojave King, and we might never see him again. 
it is interesting to hear him talk about Purdue's season coming up this year, Jake. When you think about it, they are largely running it back. I know Miles Colvin just had a great Team USA experience, or you know, I think just making that team in general is a hell of an accomplishment. So we'll see how impactful he can be early on. You know, Trey Kaufman Wren is staying. I think that was a question we had when Zach Eady decided to return. Would Trey Kaufman Wren stay? You would think his minutes are going to look very similar to what they look like last season. But yeah, they've got the game north of the border against Alabama. They play Arizona right here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in mid-December. They're out in Maui for a absolutely loaded Maui field. And then I saw yesterday um, Zach Eady is going to be part of the Team Canada in trying to make the World Cup. So it's a little confusing because we know Tyrese Halliburton is going to be playing for Team USA in that World Cup. Team USA is not doing tryouts. They just picked a 12-person team. Team Canada will have to narrow down a little bit more of their pool. And there are more players out of Canada than you think, right? So Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard are not part of this Canadian cycle. But if you look at their roster, like Jamal Murray's on it. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. I Shea Gildress Alexander is on it. O'Shea Brissett. Lou Dort is on it as well. Uh, RJ Barrett. So it is a, I would think, will be a great experience for Zach Eady and just even if he doesn't make the team, taking part in this Team Canada pool. And obviously when you look ahead to, what, it's next year in Paris, if I'm not mistaken, you know, there's potential for Zach Eady to be on the Canadian Olympic team. Have you been to Paris? No. I saw somebody, um, some of the guys that that went over to Paris, well, not to Paris, but to France to cover the, uh, recently to cover Le Mans, and they were saying how, Par- how filthy Paris was, and I'm like, I, that was not my experience at all. I thought it was like fabulously clean. I mean, maybe it's changed. I was there just before COVID. So maybe it has changed. I don't know. I mean, four years ago I was there and I thought it was fabulous. So if you've got a chance to to go over to something like that would be awesome to go to Paris. I loved Paris. Um, I'm going to tell you the description of the movie, Kevin. You tell me the movie. You ready? Okay. This is the entire movie itself. Daytime. Where's the map? We lost the map. What, you moron, did you lose the map? Where are we going? We're in the woods. We're lost. Where's the map? Nighttime. What was that sound? What was that noise? We're all going to die. Daytime. Where's the map? Anybody find the map? Rinse and repeat for two hours. What movie? And you labeled it the most overrated movie of all time? I, I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And like literally it was all the rage and all the buzz 24 years ago this week because it was released this week. Gosh, it sounds like an awful plot. It when, was terrible. When, it had no plot. It. it was awful. I got nothing. Mark? Blair Witch Project. Bingo. Terrible. It was. Biggest waste of time of, like, ever. Stay home and, like, clip your toenails. It was scary, right? I, I, I mean, I guess if you're five... I well, thought it was the dumbest, most ridiculous garbage ever. I was nine, and I do remember like people my age being like, that's the scariest thing you'll ever see. I mean, I, I, I knew people my age at the time that were like, oh my gosh, it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. I'm like, that's the dumbest piece of garbage ever. Like, I wanted my money back. I was so angry. That was the, the only- last time that you've been in a theater? <laughs> oh, no. I, I, loved, I just went to a movie uh, last week, as a matter of fact. I uh, went to a movie called You Hurt My Feelings with Julie Louise Dreyfus. No, you know why I went? First time we've heard Mark speak all morning. Julia Louise Dreyfus. 
Mark and I have that in common about Julie Louise Dreyfus. Uh, she's probably not too fond of her alma mater right now, right? No, Northwestern's had some issues, the latest being their baseball coach now uh, has been fired after one year, after allegations of hazing within that program as well. Also, uh, it appears as though, while not definitive, it does appear as though Northwestern will elevate David Braun, their defensive coordinator, to the interim head coach. Now, how late long in the year to go he, on a coaching search. How long has he been there? Who's that? The defensive coordinator. I know is there it, was it Braun in, or Brown? He was hired in January. Oh, so very recent. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of questions on, like, why is Pat Fitzgerald the only one being fired here? That's a fair question. Buck stops there, right? I mean, the, the thing that's interesting, and it's not an original point, but it's a point worth repeating. It's just like your Obi Toppin number one jersey. That's right. I I was being flippant about thinking that I was the first to come up with the Obi One on the on the jersey thing. He was number one in New Graham's York got the audio. Um, what's that? Graham's got the audio. No, but I was being sarcastic when I'm like, I'm the only one to come up with that. Although I do think I do remember mentioning it here, and you guys rolling your eyes at me. Um, <laughs> but the the when college coaches say hey, I was unaware that this was taking place in my program. I don't know that there is a sport or a position that has people that are more control freaks than college football coaches. I think it's the dumbest statement in the world when, when they say that. Yeah, because they, they know, and I get it. I mean, when you have 100 guys, it's here's the thing I will say. This is not like you're asking the third walk-on who his ex-girlfriend's name is. Correct. And, and I get, Kevin, when you have 100, I mean – there are probably 120 guys total that are part of your program. I totally understand that it's impossible to police all of them at all hours and what goes on in their apartment off campus, in the office. I, I get it. But in terms of what takes place in your locker room or inside your facility, these guys know they know everything about their program. I mean, there is no excuse or validity to saying that that they don't well we just i didn't know that that was taking place no way and if that is the case then you deserve to be fired just because of you know the the dreaded ncaa term lack of institutional control i mean yeah i I would say to pat fitzgerald wait you were unaware of this happening so i'm paying you nearly six million dollars a year which is an extremely high amount to have won four games in the easier division of the Big Ten over the last two years, one and eleven last year. So you're not winning football games, and yet you are unaware of again something that is not just this random fact of your eighty third scholarship player in your locker room. I, I think that's one of the dumber comments. But by all accounts, Pat Fitzgerald has seriously lawyered up, and the fact that he was fired under suspension, I think, has something to do with that. Uh, so we'll see how all of that plays out. Players need to get reprimanded, too. The ones that participated in that stuff, too. I'm waiting for that shoe to drop as well. Yeah, I think we are a long ways away from this being final, final, by any means, on that front. Uh, uh, by the way, this from Anthony. I agree. Blair Witch Project, Jake. I never got the hype either. I was one and done on watching it. Never have since. See, Anthony, who lives in Houston, and is he's molding young minds as a high school counselor. That shows you right there the intellectual superiority of Anthony that he also saw that Blair Witch Project total garbage. Tony East to talk Pacers in 10 minutes here. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. And 11 women in action tonight. 8-1-1 one, and one on the year. I think the Indians are back in action. I don't believe they're home, though, for a while. Again, Major League Baseball picks up with their second half of the season today. Well, was I being too critical there, Jake, and my doom and gloom on the Reds? I'm just nervous, I guess, more than anything. I think that's fair. I'm starting I, I to mean, sweat. I, I think the nerves are fair. I they are exciting, and they're young. And then, as I mentioned, uh, is this again, real though? Well, here's the problem, and this is a problem. Um, Their starting pitching stinks. No, no, that's. No, I mean, you can get away a- with that. A- accurate statement, Mark. That you can get away with that. The problem is, you got all these people that think Ellie De La Cruz just because. I mean, the guys come in and he hit for the cycle in Game 15, and he stole three bases on two pitches, and they won 12 straight, and he's completely electrified everything, and he's got the entire Major League Baseball on their ear. And then people forget the significance of these kinds of things from Twitter swing graphs. Ellie De La Cruz is an exciting player, but he has a very big problem. His attack angle is second lowest in MLB. This is costing him a whopping 81 points of XWOBA con. So unfortunate because with his above average VBA, he could easily have top quartile contact quality. Well, what the hell? Trade the guy. I can't believe the velocity launch angle off his bat is not higher and get rid of him. Can you imagine if Willie Mays would have had a higher velocity bat angle? He might have hit 710 home runs. Get rid of him. Okay. You know, Ellie De La Cruz was five months old when Joey Votto was drafted by the Reds. Joey Votto was drafted by the Reds because Joey Votto was one guy that understood the importance of the XWOBA con. That's the kind of things... You know what team probably pays a ton of attention to XWOBA.com or whatever the hell that is? The Oakland Athletics. They're like 14 and 67. Yeah, but we got the right bat angle launches. Okay. That, leave that stuff to the guys that are showing videos on A's social need media to get shade of their eighth from grade that. kids' batting practice. What's that? I don't know why the A's needed to get some shade from you on that. Seemed a bit <laughs> uncalled for. Reds are 22 and 8 since Ellie De La Cruz. Was called up. Uh, they have stolen 50 bases this season. Last year, for the entire year, they stole 58 bases. But you uh, want to see their VAODOWA.com or whatever the hell it is. On the other side, back from Vegas, he is Tony East. Again, uh, Pacers Summer League game at number four on the horizon tonight. We'll talk with him, get his thoughts on the Pascal Siakam. Uh, TJ McConnell, latest as well. We'll do that with Tony East coming up here at 9 o'clock hour. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I think Tony East is out from a morale standpoint back from Vegas. Uh, not thrilled about being in his last name. 
Back east, right? Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's what I do. Nothing says the 15th hour of the week like that joke right there from Jake Quarry. I'm sure the first time Tony East has ever heard a directional joke his way. Tony, you will you... things d- are going south here? Oh, God. Tony, will you, first off, will you save us? Second off, uh, will you describe what the Vegas summer league scene is like? I'm talking in the arena, outside the arena, on the strip. If it is, you know, feel free to share anything that you would like. I know you're newly engaged, so, you know, maybe walk a, walk a fine line with that one. But I have obviously never been to the Vegas Summer League, and I'm particularly curious what life is like during that time out there. Well, Kevin, let me follow, let me answer your question with a question. Is Victor Wembanyama playing in the game right that second or not playing in the game right Ooh. that second? Okay, uh, feel free to share both of those atmospheres and experiences. Well, I'd actually describe the Wembanyama game similar to when Peyton Manning was the Colts quarterback, except it was kind of the inverse, right? When the Colts had the ball, dead silent in the RCA Dome. They wanted the Colts to run their offense. When the other team had the ball, very loud, disruptive, right? That was part of the fun of the atmosphere. It was the total opposite in the Thomas and Mack Center. When Iwan Banyama had the ball, it was nuts. People would stand up. There was cheering. It was excitement. Everything, he, he, he could do one dribble and pass, and people would do one. And when he was out of the game or didn't have the ball, nobody cared. People got up and walked around. <laughs> it was silent. Like, it, it, was, it was kind of ridiculous that it even was the same place. It was insane. Like, for me to actually get a media seat to watch his games, I had to get to Thomas and Mack Center in the first quarter of the game before just to have a media seat. It was ridiculous um, how invested people were in his games, but it was really cool to be a part of them. It's, a, it's an interesting experience. Uh, it's a lot of basketball junkies in one place at the same time. Like, I, it's the most, like, random jerseys I've ever seen. I saw a guy who already had a, uh, a Thompson Twins jersey that was cut in half. So it's half a SARS Pistons jersey and half a men's Rockets jersey. Like, that's how I describe the gym. And Vegas in general is just popping in the middle of summer. There's a lot going on, and the strip was busy everywhere. Uh, I'm a casino guy, so I had a great time, even though that was my first time there. That is how I would describe the vibe if I could. Wait, that was your first time in Vegas? Yeah, my whole life, yeah. You know, the, the one thing that's a total buzzkill now, Tony, about Vegas, and I get why they did it, when you walk the strip now you've got to it's it gets a little laborious right you got to walk and you go up the steps and you got to like walk over the rampways to walk to the other yeah. side and you know kind of zigzag the whole thing right it's like intimidating too because you're zigzagging and like every stair is like a different color than the stair before and that's like good lord can i just like you know what you know what vegas needs is the indy airport like moving walkways to get around that would save a lot of time. now the difference between vegas coming the end. difference between vegas and the indy airport is that in vegas you can get something to eat after 6 p.m so that's good right um, and you don't have a bunch of uh nightly business cards in the vegas carry around oh yeah that's right Go ahead, Tony. I was terrified in that airport. I was going to be delayed because there was like so many slot machines and stuff. I was like, this is not a place I want to be distracted or bored. I want to get in and out of here as fast as possible. There's so many noises in that airport. Yeah. So many noises. Arch Uh, Schleister joining us on the Payless Service Hotline. (laughs) Um, Hey, Tony, real quick on Victor Webb and Miyama. I'm curious your thought on this. You know, I watched a little bit, but I didn't watch him play, you know, probably as closely as you did or people out at Summer League. Does he look like he is ready to go right now and be like immediate front-run impact, or is it more so you can absolutely see where the skill is there, but there is a lot of development yet to be had? Yeah, I think defensively he's ready. 
it, to have the impact. Like it, people don't even go close to him, and you know, he covers. Like he, he, if he gets beat at the foul line, he just does like one drop step, and he's back in the play. Right? Like he's so huge, and he can just catch up to everything, and his, his wingspan's insane. So defensively, yeah, he's ready now. Like Sabonis will punk him a bunch. Like all these dudes who are stronger than him will embarrass him. But defensively, he's going to be awesome right away, I think. And that's going to be the thing that makes him shine. He'll probably have like a bajillion three, four, five block games. But yeah, offensively, he definitely needs some work. Like that gimmicky one-legged three that he did in France all the time to draw fouls. Like that's not going to work in the NBA. His dribble moves don't create a ton of space just yet. Like his stride's so long that it looks like he teleports. So he'll, he'll be fine. And like. He'll probably average, I don't know, 12 to 15 points a game. But he, he definitely needs some some work on offense. His jumper's still pretty raw, and he can't really pass that much yet. But, yeah, I think defensively right away he's going to stand out immediately. The great Tony East joining us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. You can listen to him locked on Pacers to the podcast, writes for SI.com. Uh, Tony, let me ask this question to start, and then I, then I have a little bit of follow-up. What is Andrew Nemhard's best position in the NBA? Oh gosh, it, it's probably point guard, right? Like, is 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 not great as that is for the Pacers to hear. I mean, he was awesome running the show out there from a pace control perspective, from a game management perspective, from a passing perspective. Even last year in summer league, he was a great passer. He showed it down the stretch of last season, and yeah, that that's a little awkward for his fit with the Pacers specifically. But he is certainly better at that spot to me than he is. Offensively, especially at the off-ball guard spots, I would agree with that. Now, the question that I think you play off of with that is obviously, what does that mean for TJ McConnell? Because you know, when you start to map out the first and second unit, Tony, I mean, there is like a half a dozen names that you've just got to figure out spots and roles at the two, the three, and I guess the four. I mean, Matherin, Heald, Neesmith, Wara, Shepard, Toppin, Walker. I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting others as well. So, given that, how should TJ McConnell be handled of a 31-year-old that unquestionably brings value to you, but the age, the contract, I think you have to at least ask the question internally of, all right, Andrew Nemhard's a part of our core for the next, you know, hopefully a handful of years and beyond. TJ McConnell is not. How should the Pacers handle that? And what would even return look like for TJ McConnell? Yeah, that is the, the tricky part of squeezing out those you know, those positions of the rotation. Like Halburn, like the backcourt specifically, right? Just going through those three positions. Halburn's obviously going to play. Bruce Brown, Buddy Heald, they're going to play. Ben Matherin's going to play. So if Nemard plays off ball again, all of a sudden Aaron Neesmith's not playing anymore. And last year, they loved him. Rick loved him. His defense was huge for the team. You know, he's still a valuable young piece. He's only 23, right? Like, that that's a tough guy to all of a sudden just not play. So the way to play him would be to, to do what you just said, have Andrew Nemhard be your backup point guard. He's suddenly in the rotation. He can play next to Halliburton, as proven last year. But then McConnell's not playing, despite, you know, a career year last year in terms of scoring and efficiency and all sorts of stuff. So they, they, they do have a crowded backcourt, and that would be the argument for moving – T.J. McConnell at age 31 is that he might just not even have a role, right? And all of a sudden, his value to the Pacers is less than it would be to another team where he might might actually play. And his contract is technically not expiring, but it's only like a partial guarantee next year, so it's sort of an expiring contract. So, you know, there's reasons to consider trading him this year as compared to later in the year and right now and stuff like that. So, uh, it would make sense why the Pacers would think about it. Um, he is currently their only bet with with George Hill and James Johnson kind of uh, still not on the team. So 
There's certainly a lot of value he provides there, but I think just given where this team is headed and the crowded nature of their backcourt, it makes sense why they would, would listen to offers on him and why, you know, I'm, maybe we'll get to this, but why these reports are coming out about the Suns potentially having interest in him. Tony, what's the latest that you found yourself out in the Vegas Strip? Uh, like three, three thirty. Okay. Uh, who's the most random, famous? Damn, person? that's like six Eastern back here. That's that's, that's awesome. impressive. That's the. Th- I mean, Vegas has no. You got no clocks. They're pumping oxygen in. You know, you go into a fat burger at midnight. I mean, it's all good. Um, most famous or, or most random famous person that you ran into, or basketball related or not, like uh, in a casino or just out walking around. I mean, like half the NBA is at every casino. It feels like that's hard to pinpoint uh, number one, one famous person. I saw Jerry West on the strip once. Um, he also sat right in front of me at a game, so maybe that's why he's he's fresh on the brain. It, it, it's like it, it feels like everybody's famous out there for some reason, just because like every person is wearing a team branded shirt and you're like looking them up and down to figure out who they are if you know them. So. Uh, it, it's hard to truly answer. Maybe my answer is Tyrese Halliburton, the two hundred sixty million dollar man who I saw several times. Now, when you saw him, like, was he just hanging out? Uh, I don't saw him at, at games, but on the strip specifically, yeah, Jerry West was just hanging out. Um, it, it's just it's fascinating because everybody's kind of doing their own thing, but everybody doing their own thing is doing the same thing just at different places, basically, right? Figure out some try. Everybody says the place they eat out there is like secretive and hidden and no one knows about it but like you, you see like 30 people there so um, it, it's interesting how everybody thinks their their Vegas experience was super different it felt like a lot of them were really similar. I went to the final four in San Antonio once and everywhere I everywhere I went literally every single for like three days every single place that I went I turned around and Bob Huggins was standing right there it was the weirdest <laughs> thing ever like like have- like one room he's fired and the next one he's not and then he's resigned and he's not it was the weirdest thing ever he was everywhere though <laughs> we went out to Fremont even and I was like oh this is far enough I'm sure that it'll be you know less NBA yeah that's old stuff. Vegas right yes yeah it's like a whole that whole street of brightness and in, in your face and I was like oh this is far enough from the strip this won't be as as busy, you know, there's still NBA people everywhere and craziness. It's it's quite the town, especially for Vegas. It, it was like made for me that week. I was just going from fun thing to fun thing for five days. Tony East with us here, back to reality to say the least, and I'm sure thrilled <laughs> to be waking up with us here at nine Eastern as he was just stumbling back from his casino and carrying all his chips um, with him. Uh, Tony Benedict Matherin, obviously a lot of certainly a lot of comments after his first two games. Inefficiency would probably define it. Uh, game two, I would say, a decent amount of playmaking that offers a bit of intrigue. You know, as I look at him into year two, Tony, I'm going to be fascinated to watch like. A dude that is clearly most comfortable just attacking and trying to score. I mean, he is, that is what he is made to do and what he loves to do. And his balance in trying to do that, but then also become a little bit more of a passer, a playmaker, distribute the ball. One pass can lead to a bucket. One pass could lead to a hockey assist. Like watching him find that balance within his game, Tony. I think is going to be one of the more interesting storylines for this season. What do you make of Matherin's, you know, game evolving in year two? Yeah, 100%. Like, I think that's a big storyline for the whole Pacers season in general because, yeah, they've got A star, but you need a co-star or 1B or whatever. And if that's Matherin this year, what is he going to show the Pacers beyond 
scoring the ball, right? We know he can do that. He did that in Vegas even with his inefficiency, and I mostly don't care about inefficiency in summer league. But he's got to show something else to me. Like He could be a playmaker or a knockdown shooter or a great cutter off of the ball, right? Something else that'll really elevate his fit with Tyrese Halberton. And I believe that he can defend you know, better every year. He works on that, and he's got the body to do it. And he defended well in summer league to his credit, but you know, he had even with the in the game he had six assists that you just mentioned, where some of those playmaking flashes were a little more on display. Like he had a couple nice dump off passes in the lane, and he was making the extra pass. His first assist of the game, he just swung it to Ben Shepard for an open corner three. It's like even just that is 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 important for him to be making that extra read. But um, he has still had a few moments that game where he would drive into three guys and 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 you know, turn it over or throw up a crummy shot. And some of that's just like he thinks he can get to the cup and draw a foul or score because that's what he's born to do, and he's very good at it. That's important. Like, his free throw rate as a rookie was ridiculous, and he was top 15 in the league. And, you know, that's something he should pursue and continue to try to do. But at the same time, he's got you know, to have more vision on that. You know, if he's surrounded by three guys, he's got to give it up. And part of the reason he's guarded by three guys is the defense knows if they send three at him, they'll, they'll probably get a stop or force a bad shot. So, as good as he is as a scorer and getting to the line and all those things he showed as a rookie, he's got to add one or two more elements to his offensive game to be fully fitting in a team setting, even though he definitely is already talented and good. Tony, since you were just in Vegas, I'll put this in wagering terms. <laughs> uh, if you had to put a wager on it before you'd left Vegas, you get to write down on a sheet of paper a yes-no answer, put it in an envelope at one of the casinos, and then – if you are correct, you get to go back and collect on it. Is the roster complete between now and opening day? I'd probably say no, but I don't think anything left that happens is going to be exceedingly significant. Um, I mean, my, my lazy answer could just be that they'll sign somebody to a two-way, but the actual purpose of your question, like – I think there's a little bit of league holdup because of Dame and James Harden. Like, even some decent free agents are waiting to see, you know, is there going to be minutes in Miami? Is there going to be minutes in Portland or Philly or L.A. or whatever? And if not, they got to take money somewhere. And once that's done, then trade stuff really ramps up. And, like, you know, last year the Aiton thing happened. I want to say on the 16th, which would be tomorrow or, no, Sunday comparatively. And the Donovan Mitchell trade happened in September. You know, like, there's always stuff. That happens later, and for a team like the Pacers, who's got a couple log jams to, to think about sorting out, it's definitely possible they're done. Like, the roster makes sense. They have the exact number of required contracts. Like, maybe they are just done, but it, it definitely wouldn't surprise me if they did something else, and because there's going to be options to do it, uh, I probably would have said they're not quite done yet if I had to put a slip on it, but... Um, that's a, that's a tricky one just because it's it slowed down so much that it almost feels like there might be nothing else. What would make you say yes to a Pascal Siakam deal? Uh, the, the, yeah, the obvious thing is the contract, right? If he says, yeah, I'll, I'll sign an extension immediately on Pond being traded, then, yeah, you, you suddenly feel way more comfortable with that. If you're the Pacers, like, I, I, I figured out in the last couple of days hearing a lot of chatter about this that I am significantly higher on his fit with the Pacers than it seems like a lot of other people are. Like, he is so good, right? All NBA. Does it, doesn't he need the ball, though, a ton, Tony? And, like, you know, obviously you want Tyrese orchestrating things. I guess that's where a little bit of my concern would be. I think the Pacers need another playmaker-type guy with the ball. So 
that's Fair. part of why I think I'm, I'm a little higher on the fit. And he can play three, he can play four, he can defend, score, pass, rebound. Like he, he's pretty good. Um, he definitely isn't like the, the, the part that might be clunky is if Halburn has the ball all the time. He's not like an amazing shooter. Basically, like one at 33 percent, I think, last year or about that for his last five years. But like, like those kind of talents aren't available very often. And stylistically, would be a wonderful fit with the Pacers. You need guys at that talent level to take the steps they want to take. So, you know, if if he is truly available and and he would be willing to add years to his contract in Indiana, then yeah, you really got to consider it. For a one-year rental, obviously, the price goes way down. And do you even want to do that? Like, what's the point of that if you're the Pacers? You know, if you think you could re-sign him, maybe. But with a, with an extension, uh, yeah, you got to really think about that because he fits really well and he's super talented. But also with an extension, the price goes way up. And then you got to think about that. And the Raptors have been very hard negotiators for since the Masai Ujiri regime took over there. So, uh, it's tricky to kind of figure out the machinations of that, just given Toronto's situation. But I think he'd be an awesome fit with this Pacers team if, if he'd be willing to stay longer than a year. Tony, do you think that Halliburton and Benedict Matherin can grow alongside one another on the court and continue to have like a symbiotic relationship? Or are they two guys that, that one of the two of them is going to need the ball in their hands more than the other, and that's going to – I don't mean create friction in terms of them being bad guys, but just on court create challenges. Yeah, I think they can grow together, certainly. Like the, the famous guard duos of however well, recent you want to go with, like Steph and Clay. Steph became really like the best off-ball mover in the NBA, and obviously these guys are both – unbelievable shooters but can the best off ball mover in the nba and clay became a great cutter and spot up guy and so even though they both were awesome with the ball they fit really well together and so that's kind of why i think a big focus for Mather in this year is going to be a lot of that extra stuff when he doesn't have the ball the shooting the cutting all that kind of stuff because halburn already is a very good shooter and a decent off ball mover and just understands the game so well that he's good and in both situations, you know, even Damon Lillard and C.J. McCollum, like that team made a conference finals. Those two guys were both significantly better with the ball and not the best off-ball movers, but paired pretty well together. Now, they, they had a clear ceiling cap and had, you know, some, some unlucky injuries and, and not great teams along the way, and that's kind of a, a cautionary tale of the two guards that, that are, you know, not perfect fits, but even that team worked pretty well. Like, you could go through a couple more like Harden and Westbrook, for example, um, that, that guard can fit together if they have the right skill set. And I think that uh, Halliburton and Matherin certainly can, especially if the right talent is around them. But you know, a, a couple more things to come both there was like even Halliburton could stand to become a little bit better off the ball, and Matherin's got to become a little bit better of a catch-and-shoot guy for it to be like perfectly symbiotic. But, yeah, I definitely think they can fit together. We even saw signs of it last year. Like the, I think the Patriots net rating with both of them on the court was, was positive, like above zero. Uh, so the, the, it's certainly not a perfect fit, but I definitely think they can symbiotically grow together. All right, Tony, last one. And again, Tony East is with us here, covers the Pacers, Locked On Pacers, the podcast, writes for them for SI.com, back from Summer League in Vegas. Um, let's just say the hypothetical. Halliburton, of course, is a starter. Turner, obviously, is a starter. Let's say Matherin is your starter at the three. Um, the decisions at the two, are you going offense or defense? And by that... Buddy Heald or Bruce Brown at the two, and then at the four, are you going Obi Toppin or Jarris Walker? Where, where do you sit on the offense versus defense if it's simple enough to kind of boil it down to that? 
I would personally go Jairus at the four. That one seems easier to me. I think I'm just not as high. Like, Obi's good, but um, I think he hasn't shown enough to me to, to walk into a starting spot after a trade like that, uh, even though he'll definitely play more in Indiana than he did in New York. I get why he would start. I get his fit with Halliburton being much better than his fit without him for the Pacers specifically, and maximizing that pairing in terms of their time together on the court makes a lot of sense for the Pacers. He's good, uh, but I think Walker, especially like a guy you want to explore how well he fits with their young core and see what he can grow into with this team. I, I would be, I would be leaning into starting him. Um, but I would, you know, like Mather and last year, I would get it if they didn't. Uh, the two's a lot harder though. You know, Buddy Heald, that spacing is so valuable to the rest of the team. And he also pairs better with Halliburton. And honestly, every player on the team knows I need to stop making that point. If I'm being honest, but you know, the spacing I think is so valuable for everybody else. Whereas Bruce Brown, you're getting, that much needed point of attack defense. And if you're going with top and Matherin, you need the defense a lot, right? You're going to need somebody who can guard on the perimeter. So if Toppin's a starting four, I think Bruce Brown is definitely the choice at the two. If, if Jairus Walker's at the four, I think you've got a better shot going with Buddy Heald. But personally, I think given the contracts handed out, given the way the draft went, uh, my choices would be Bruce Brown and Jairus Walker. Uh, but I think that, that, that finding the right synergy is going to be really tough, right? They have a lot of guys deserving of minutes at, at various spots. I know Summer League, I mean, literally it's probably like a 2 out of 10 in terms of how much it can actually predict legitimate NBA. I, I get it, right? But did Ben Shepard at all look like a guy that still offensively was a bit of a stretch? I know that he's a good shooter, and then we find out you know, defensively is really where he, I think, impressed some people. But did he look comfortable to you? No, he didn't. And, and projecting from summer league's hard and, and kind of funny. Now, I actually laugh every year this happens, right? Matherin was amazing as a summer league rookie, and everybody was so high in his future and then had some crummier moments this year. Now everybody's, like, down on his future. It's like, which summer league matters more, his first one or his second one? Um, but Shepard specifically, yeah, he, he was invisible in the first game, right? Like, he had four shots in one point, and his defense was kind of rough. And then he was awesome in the second game, four for seven from deep. He said he was working on the defensive stuff. He was clearly more impactful in the right spots, making plays. And then back to struggling again last night. So I can't tell if he can't figure out how to, you know, how to get his shots and get to his spots. Like at Belmont, he was more so the guy. Like it was easy for him to know when the ball was coming and figure out where to get where the plays were, you know, designed for him and get open and stuff like that. So I think that was a lot more comfortable for him in a way that isn't the case. Right now, I think defensively, though, I'd like to see a little bit more from him because he certainly looks like he's got a longer way to go. All right, what's the thing you miss the most about Vegas? <laughs> uh, I'm a big craps guy, so I, I definitely miss playing craps and not having to drive out to Shelbyville to do it. I, I don't understand craps. It's just a bunch of people standing around a table yelling and one guy with, like, a little rake. Is that right? You get some yeah, great energy around the table. <laughs> I like the energy part. I like uh, a bunch of strangers mostly having the same goal and hopes for every single throw. I think it's fun. And, yeah, that's, that's the game. There is actually no strategy to it. It's just whoever yells the loudest after that. Uh, okay. They like actually. So is your bachelor Tony. party going to be in Shelbyville? Did I just hear that? <laughs> uh, no. No, it is not. Okay. No. Anderson, maybe. You can go to the Quarry building <laughs> on the downtown square in Shelbyville. It really does exist. Uh, Tony, last thing. If you can even do this in 30 seconds, I don't know if it's possible. Kidding aside, as if I'm a kindergartner, explain craps to me. <laughs> okay. Well, it depends what your first bet is. If you're betting for or against the pass line, and that means you're betting for or against 
person with the dice to get a 7 or 11. And if they don't get 7 or 11, then that number is uh, now the number that you would like to see rolled again before 7 or 11, unless you're betting against the pass line. Then you want to see 7 or 11 before that number, with 7 being the most likely roll. But almost everybody bets on the pass line. It's very frowned upon to bet against it uh there's a lot other a lot of other bets you can make along the way but big picture that is the best i can describe okay so i have two dice and i throw them and it lands on an eight you are then wagering on whether or not i get an eight or i get a 7-eleven eight before 7-eleven correct and you can bet on every number at any time there's field bets and hard hard numbers and all this stuff that make it different than that and eight would be great because eight is decently likely and you get less payout for eight but it's still you know uh, one that people will be happy with to see if you get it around the first one that's a pretty good explanation without a table in front of them yeah <laughs> on that end uh tony great work boy you certainly covered it all with us here um i know it's been a long week for you so i appreciate you also making time for us here to round out the week man have a great weekend fun Always fun. Thanks for having me. Tony East right there on the Payless Slickers hotline. Two more for the Pacers out in Vegas. We still don't know when that final game will be, but we do know tonight the Mavericks at 7 o'clock. Jake, uh, I don't know if slash when you have a bachelor party, where would be the destination? Well, isn't that usually put on by the best man? Sure, but I I would think you you would have some input. I, I certainly had some input. That's a good question. Um, American Village Retirement. Is that right? <laughs> All right. I would say that's probably. Bags. We're going to Crown Hill uh, for the night. <laughs> I would say that's probably more a uh, a win than an if. But um, whoa, really? The problem is I'm going to have like ten you, best men. That's the problem. Did you just break news? Did you catch that, Mark? I, I mean, I heard it. I'm I have, did I hear that correctly? Gas. I have to be aware of the listening audience, gentlemen. So you said more of a win and not I would wager if. this. I would wager that the, the better question is where would the reception be? Boy, that was juicy there. Uh, the reception would be... Boy, that's a great question. Yeah, you, you would have some choices to make. Gamebridge Fieldhouse? Don? All right, hang in there, Don. That would be... Yeah. Think a logical that, that that could certainly conclusion. check out there. Yeah, you could stay at the Hyatt across the street. Okay, all right, interesting. Jake Query dropping some nuggets here on a Friday before he's off to Toronto. Uh, all right, pop quiz wise, we have given away tickets. Speaking of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, to the Eagles and Steely Dan all week long. We'll continue to do that here. It is also a freebie Friday, uh, so no matter what, the Jiffy Lube oil change is also coming your way with those tickets. So plenty of prizes to give away in the pop quiz. Give us a call three one seven. 239-1070. Before we do that, morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, Major League Baseball getting back underway after the All-Star break. Things resuming with a fairly full slate. As a matter of fact, the Toronto Blue Jays. You guys think I can make first pitch tonight. Blue Jays hosting Mark's Arizona Diamondbacks. It's a 707 first pitch, but I land at 557, I think. Oh, sure. I would try to do that one. Fourth inning, man? I mean, I... Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like... My brother-in-law, I didn't realize there was an app for this. My brother-in-law went to New York um, with his wife a few months ago and they... I guess he knew about this app where there's an app that you get into events after the event has started. Oh, really? For cheaper tickets. Well, this is 12 bucks for the cheapest tickets. Oh, gee. <laughs> I think you're good then. 
But I forget what time I land. I mean, that's that's going to be the thing. How how long it takes to get to the hotel and yada yada yada, right? So Jake is off to Toronto again. The IndyCar race coming up. Our coverage will begin 1:30 on Sunday. That is a Peacock exclusive. So I have a feeling there will be a lot of listeners to Jake and company and their coverage of the IndyCar race. Really, the other thing to note from a sports standpoint last night, especially here locally, Trace Jackson Davis did make his summer league debut. It's been a hamstring injury that has sidelined Trace up until yesterday uh, 14 points and 7 rebounds in 20 minutes for Trace if you looked at the shots that he made very much on par with what you saw in Bloomington from a pick and roll standpoint cutting to the basket finish at the rim etc 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 I did not shoot a 3 pointer in any of his 20 minutes on the floor there. So, Trace's debut, and as Jake mentioned earlier, Jalen Trofino's had some nice moments for the Lakers in Summer League. Kevin, I don't know if you've looked at the pop quiz, but there is one question that whichever of the two of us has to ask it, we are totally screwed. Oh, God. What's a, is, what's a sport? Scotty knows what I'm talking about. Tennis. Oh, boy. You know, we should have Ryan read it. <laughs> Boy, you're really putting Ryan on the spot there. Ryan says he wants to do it. He, he just did. said, I he can was do eager. tennis. I can he do was. tennis, he said. I think he wants to talk to you about you know potential wedding recommendations during the break here after your comment <laughs> right. there. For the, the show began with 19, 19, is that right, Ryan? 19-year-old Ryan. I said, you got a girlfriend? Yep. You getting married? Uh, hope to. They've been dating for six weeks. He's out shopping for rings. So yeah. first date was at uh, McAllister Deli. Second, Jared. So, you know. <laughs> Malibu yeah, Grill, right, Ryan, for the yep. first date? Malibu Grill, thanks to Kevin for that recommendation. Gave that to me, the recommendation in class. Uh, a couple of days before the date, it was awesome. <laughs> I love Ryan's. Ryan's girlfriend is a lucky, hey, lucky hey, girl. Messing around right there. No, I trust me. I was like, you're a freshman. Wait till you see the talent, sophomore, junior. <laughs> um, all right, uh, he is Ryan Canfield. He's with us here in studio. We've got Graham on the ones and twos. Mark Dykton with us as well. Of course, Jake Query, myself, Kevin Bowen. The pop quiz. Tickets, a pair of them. Uh, Eagles, Steely Dan coming up, and a freebie Friday pop quiz with, from what Jake just said, the hardest pronunciation in the history of the pop quiz. Coming up next here, Kevin Aquari, 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. the pressure sharpen your pencils it's time for the pop quiz with kevin and query brought to you by jiffy lube indiana's favorite oil change since 1985 so we know zach Kiefer is doing the uh, like long form feature stuff at the athletic now jake his latest is this Zach tweeted this out. When I first saw the headline, NFL player retires to sell Pokemon cards, it didn't add up. Then I got the full story from Blake Martinez. It's even crazier. $100,000 in duffel bags, million-dollar business, and holy bleep, what did I do? And Pokemon was- cards. Mark Dykton, maybe you can speak to a little bit Sage better. Sage I mean, well, my generation that. was uh, no. my age group just obsessed with Pokemon. Oh yeah, like I, I, my, mine were like at my grandma's garage sale, and then I was like, oh, you know, my nephew might want them. I gave them to him, and literally like ten days later is when the whole like 
boom came again. I said, hey, uh, you, you still got those? He's like, yeah. I was like, you want to go like half on trying to sell these things? Okay. And did so, you make any money? Uh, we haven't even attempted yet. We need to, though. We need to go through How it. old's your nephew? He's 10. Oh, you could hustle the hell out of him. Oh, I know. That's good. I know. The Lake Martin. Yeah, that is a, boy, that's a headline that, and obviously probably Zach's age group as well. Don't go giving that away. Uh, that's a first edition Charizard there, my friend. It's a holographic. Yeah. It's a holographic oh, yeah. on that end. What's the most valuable thing you own? Gosh, like from I mean, a collector's You can make the argument it might be a Pokemon card. Yeah. Um, My dad got a John Wooden Pyramid of Success signed by him. Yeah, that's good. And and gave it to me. Right, that's good. Um, so I would go there. I would assume. I don't know. I would assume your Indy five hundred helmet. I would take the helmet, or I have a um, from when the. Man- oh, I also have a Tiger Woods autograph. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah Ryan got me. I have a Neil Armstrong from when the man Ooh. landed on the moon, and shortly thereafter that he, he like made a big proclamation. He was no longer signing autographs. So apparently his is like coveted. I don't know. That sounds very coveted. Probably one of those two. I, I don't think I'm going to pronounce question number two. Uh, we want Ryan to do it? Make his broadcast debut here? Ryan, are you ready? Sure. <laughs> it is That's Ryan, the, the over-enthusiastic 19-year-old. Uh, Ryan going into his sophomore year at Indiana with us here in studio. Um, again, on the pop quiz today, it is a freebie Friday. So no matter what, the Eagles tickets and Steely Dan going your way and the Jiffy Lube oil change. Jake, at number one through eight. Uh, we will go with, let's see, I'm going to be in Toronto. The game starts at 7. We'll go with number 7. One, two, three, okay. Uh, David. What's up, David? Hello. Doing great. David, you sound like a nice dude. What's up this weekend for you? I uh, got a college buddy coming in town I haven't seen for about 10 years. Okay, oh, so nice. David, if you don't mind me asking, this college buddy of yours, without telling me the name of the school you attended, when you and this college buddy would go out for a beer in college or a pizza or whatever it might be, the local uh, legendary place that you would go was called what? Nick's English Hut. Okay. and um, Well, I wonder where he went to college. And David, when you went to Nick's English Hut and you walked in and you were sitting there having your beer, if the most popular athlete on campus at the time of your time as a student walked in, it would have been who? Oh, Calvert Chaney. Okay. So we are roughly the same age, right, David? Yeah, I'm 50. Okay. So you graduated high school in 91 or 92? 90, 91. Somewhere in there, right? 91. What, What high school? Ritter. Okay. Well, we'll speak slowly. David, what's on the weekend agenda? Uh, we're, we haven't figured that all out yet. We're trying to gather up a few more guys and then, uh, figure out where we're going. Did you go to the, to the race a lot since you went to Ritter? Uh, I think I've missed two or three races since 86. That's pretty awesome. Do you live close? Like from a parking standpoint, are you parking cars in your yard or anything like that? Or were you? No, I, I, I did have classmates that, uh, had houses, a musman that backed up to the track and we'd park there and just walk in the North 40. Oh, man, the Dogs of Musman was my group, the guys I knew that used to do exactly that, David. Uh, David, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Let's go with you, Jake. Oh, good. That means, Kevin, you get question number two. Uh, Thank you, David. Question number one for you. 70 years ago today, the Major League All-Star Game was played at Crosley Field, the second and final All-Star Game to be played at Crosley Field. In which city was Crosley Field located? Scotty, come on. Pittsburgh, Philly, Cincinnati, or Detroit? Uh, Detroit. 
All right, number two here. Jake and just speechless and all of that one. Uh, unseated Marquita Vondrushova. Sounded decent, I felt like. Well, face number six seed owns Japur. Vondrushova versus Japur. Tomorrow in the women's singles final, Wimbledon. David, if you're still there, thank you. In the open era, that's 1968 to present, who was the last unseated woman to reach the Wimbledon singles final? Was it Marion Bartoli, Venus Williams, Zena Garrison, or D, is it Von Drushova is the first? Oh, boy. Who's the first one? I go with the last one. All right, we'll go with D. All right, D. God. Uh, question three for you, David. Pat Fitzgerald out as head coach of the Northwestern football team after 17 seasons. Who did he replace as head coach of the Wildcats? Was it oh. Gary Barnett, Randy Walker, Dennis Green, or Francis P? Um, no Rick Venturi as a choice on there, Scotty? No, and I'm trying to um, – who was who the one that passed away? That's what I'm trying to give yeah. you the answer there. That's correct. Randy Walker is the one that Randy passed Walker. away. Randy Walker. Okay. At this point, Kevin, we're just... Kevin Wilson was offensive coordinator, if I remember. And Really? I guess yeah. I don't recall that. We're, we're handing out, you know, answers at this point here. Uh, on this day in 1974, David, this manager became the first uh, in American League history to be ejected by the umpires from two games in the same day. Was it A, Billy Martin, B, Earl Weaver, C, Ralph Houck, or D, Daryl Johnson? Um, um, the first, the first, uh, God. You going Billy Martin? Yeah, I'm going Billy Martin. David, did you happen to know the Villanueva's at Ritter? Marlon Villanueva? Charlie? Uh, I think there was a wasn't there a Marlene Villanova? Correct. Villanova, yep. Uh, Melinda, Marlene, and um, Marlon, yep. Yep. It's a great piston, right? Ryan, Charlie Villanueva? Charlie Villanueva, good player out of Connecticut. Charlie All right. Villanueva! <laughs> wow, okay. This is what I had Apparently, to deal with front row. Apparently an exciting uh, Detroit piston. All right, question number five for you, David. Happy 47th birthday to former Pacer center Eric Dampier. Dampier was taken with the Pacers, the 10th pick in the 96 draft out of Mississippi State. Played one season here. Was traded to Golden State for Chris Mullen. But he packed up his bags from Indiana along with another Pacer whose nickname was Paco and played, I believe, at Georgia Tech. Was it LaSalle Thompson, Vincent Askew, Dwayne Farrell, or Haywood Workman? Uh, Haywood Workman. Okay. Boy, I'll be honest, that answer, I don't remember one thing about that human as a Pacer. Sh- should I? Um, The Pacers always had a guy that was like kind of a seventh or eighth man that was a – like Sam Mitchell was another player like this guy, yeah, just kind I, of a, a Sam Swiss Mitchell. Army knife. Dwayne Farrell was a good player. Well, the pop quiz did not get off to a great start. Um, Jake was pretty much saying how easy question number one was, and then all of a sudden David said Detroit. Crosley Field was in Cincinnati. Don't look now, but here come the red legs. I knew it here. I'm back on the positive bandwagon. Vondershova is indeed the first unseated player to make it to the finals in the Wimbledon women's tournament. Randy Walker was correct. Billy Martin was the correct answer. And Dwayne Farrell 
was traded along with Eric Dampier. It's interesting because when the Pacers got to the finals in 2000, by then Mullen was really at the end. Mullen was a key player for them in 98 and what was their best team. Um, But in 2000, when they got to the finals, everybody talks about what would have happened if they still had Antonio Davis to kind of double up on Shaq. And people forget that Eric Dampier could have been on that roster as well. And he was a serviceable player, a, a big man that could run the floor, really good college player. But there you go, David. Appreciate uh, your participation on a freebie Friday. I always thought Dampier was just like a brick house. Just like huge shoulders. He was that, man. No question. Yeah, him, he, and the that, da- him and the Davis brothers, you want them to be on your side of the alley. That Mississippi State team in 96, they had Dante Jones, Eric Dampier, and then there was one other one. Um, but the Knicks had like three picks in the first round, and they took two of the Mississippi State guys. McCarty might have been the other one they took, and it was like, I mean, you want to talk about an opportunity to really cash in, and it just kind of fizzled out for him. All right, we will close things out one final time here on a Friday. Kevin and Query, 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, Jake, Toronto plans for you? Uh, here is the funny thing, and I'm going to give you a trivia question, Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton, feel free to chime in. If you were to go to, if you were to go to a bar in the United States, you know, in Indy, whatever, and you go in and you're like, "Hey, what Canadian beer do you have on draft?" I mean, they probably would give you like a Molson or a Labatt's, right? Those would be like the two mainstream Canadian beers people know of. If you go to Toronto and you sit down and you're like, "What?" imports do you have on draft what is the number the most popular at least of the places i've gone jack astor's being the big one which is like their big restaurant sports place in toronto what american beer is the one that they're like well we have they they have it literally on draft at any sports bar in toronto it is the american import beer little kings mark do you have a guess i will say coors light kevin is Half correct in this regard. It oh, comes gosh. in a green bottle. Oh, um, Rolling Rock? Yeah. Rolling Rock is correct. Really? Like nice. anywhere you go. Um, I don't know whether or not. Whoa. We're hearing country music all of a sudden. Okay. The, I, we still here? That's the ice cold beer. One. Luke Combs guy, right? Well, he heard me talking about Rolling yeah. Rock and he basically said it's never broke his heart. Um, Tonight, I don't know if we'll have time to go to the Blue Jays game or not. Probably not. Who are they playing again? Uh, Toronto is hosting the Diamondbacks. Dave First and I do our trip to Roots, which is the world's greatest clothing store. I think we're doing that tomorrow. Qualifying tomorrow. Uh, Practice is underway today. I won't make it there for that because I fly in tonight. Qualifying tomorrow and then the race on Sunday at Exhibition Park, which goes around. Basically, it would be like in Indianapolis, very similar to if a a temporary street course was designed around the state fairgrounds that's kind of what exhibition park looks like the views are awesome it's right it's right on the water of lake ontario there used to be an amusement park called ontario place right there and then exhibition park the baseball stadium where the blue jays played in the 80s is basically where the track goes it's obviously gone now um now there is one inside the the track 
complex, if you will, there is uh, every year there's a little business there called the massage lady. And it's one of those, you know, you just sit in the chair and they do your back for, yeah, massage your back. Robert um, Griffin, or excuse me, not Robert Griffin, Deshaun Watson is a fan of it. Okay. Well, not necessarily to that level because you're right there as people are walking past. And well. um, I'm a regular. And now when I, when I get there, Nick Yeoman actually is mesmerized by it because the lady who gives the massages every year is like, Jake, you're back. How's your back doing? It's well, it's sore. Uh, okay, let, so I'll probably get a massage, Kevin. If you really want to know the truth, um, and then go to Jack Astor's and get a Rolling Rock, and maybe go to the Blue Jays game, and definitely go to Roots. It's those pretty, are my plans. Wa- we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's pretty wild what Alex Pillow has done and could do here coming up on Sunday. You know, if he is able to win, that will be four straight wins for him. The only and and that would be what five of six, right? Yeah, I mean he is and the Indy five hundred just Marinas VK all of a sudden boom gets a little antsy coming out of the pits, hits Pillow. Pillow still finishes top five. I mean, Jake, you can speak to this much, much better than I, but in modern IndyCar racing, people do not win four straight times. Correct. I mean, it's he is on a tear that is, you know, again, the record is seven, so, you know, he's more but, than halfway but, there But, you know, modern, that. you know, Correct. when you talk. No, you're right. The last um, 15 years. I mean, this is some Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton F1 stuff, and we're not used to that in IndyCar. I, I think the thing about Polo that is so impressive is that when he gets a lead... He just increases it lap by lap by lap. I mean, it's like he his precision in his laps. The other thing that he's able to do that I think has really helped him, and it certainly did at Mid-Ohio, you have two kinds of tires. You have the primary black tire, and then you have a softer compound tire, which is a softer tire that allows you more speed right off the get-go, but they don't last as long. Most people start the race on the softer red tires. Polo started can start the start races on the primary black tires and run at a good pace on those, last longer on them, go longer on his first stint before he has to come in to make a tire change. Then when everybody else is going to the black tires, which aren't as fast in the get-go, he's changing to the softer compound tires and he's off and running. And he, he, he keeps himself up towards the front and then he's just smooth as can be i mean he's really dialed in where he ends up next year whether or not i think there's the possibility he stays at ganassi but it's probably more likely he ends up going with the mclaren contract because of the for form f1 of the or Correct. for any he would be in any car next year he would be i think i think he would do indycar but probably would be an f1 like test driver for them um with eyes on for i i, I would imagine his eyes are on formula one but you know, with what he's doing, uh, you, all bets kind of are off. But he is kind of the key cog in terms of all the dominoes that would fall in terms of free agency and that kind of thing. Jake giddy about trying to get his passport stamped here in a few hours. Number 20, baby. Number 20. And again, it is a Peacock exclusive race coming up on Sunday. So I have a feeling a lot of listeners uh, to our coverage here on the Fan 130 from Toronto. It starts a busy time for IndyCar. Two races in Iowa, back on an oval next week, two races in Iowa. And then when you get in the month of August, it is in Nashville for that second iteration of the Nashville street race and then back to Indy for a road course race there in the middle of August. I packed very lightly so I can bring back a lot of chips and mints. Oh, Scotty, do you want a Canadian Kit Kat bar? I thought he liked that last. I thought you liked that, Scotty. Actually, it was Reese's Cups. Reese's Reese's Cups. Do you want a a Canadian Reese's Cup? No, thanks. I'll do one of those, Jake, if if you're taking orders. I mean... 
Good Lord. Thank you to Greg Rakeshaw. Thank you to Tony East. Everybody enjoy this beautiful Friday. Have a great weekend. And Jake, safe travels to Toronto. Thank you. We'll see you.